in the Champions League where Diego Simeone, one of my favorite coaches, grabs his nuts as he beats Juventus. And then Ronaldo, the next game, is like, oh, you're going to grab your fucking dick? Well, watch this. Here's a hat trick uh, to fuck you. Wow. I have never seen a single person dominate a game like I did that game with Cristiano Ronaldo. He's like, oh, my club sucks. I'm going to win this fucking game. Right. Scores a hat trick, goes right up to Diego Simeone and grabs his dick. And I'm like, this is top notch quality Ronaldo. You're listening to the Art and War podcast with your host, Mitch and Nathan. Mitch is a former airborne infantry squad leader who now spends most of his time coaching soccer. Nathan is a professional illustrator and an avid shooter with a couple of years of Canadian military experience. Together, they run the Seaburn Art page. Enjoy the show. Problem though with the MLS they're not good goals even when they look like it because the goalkeeping and the defending is so shit that you're like why is why are you getting all fancy and like doing this like outrageous stuff when you clearly don't have to the defending and the goalkeeper is just so dog shit that like it looks better than it actually is and it annoys me yeah yeah it's it's like it's like in female football the goalkeepers make them look good (laughs) (laughs) is though well speaking of female goalkeepers my sister is the only female goalkeeper I've ever seen at any level, be a professional all the way down to like kindergarten, that is capable of moving backwards and jumping at the same time. I don't know what the fuck it is. I have never, ever seen a female goalkeeper that can backpedal and jump at the same time to make right. a save. I don't know wow. why. It's because you bullied the crap out of her. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> that that maybe no, I, helped a lot. I, I did do that with her while I was gone in Europe. I had my buddy who was a red shirt over in England and he came back and he was in the same area where we grew up. And I texted him. I'm like, Hey, go take shots on my sister and just fucking drill balls at her. <laughs> and like a level, you know, like a, a men's professional player at that level can absolutely fucking drill soccer ball so my sister is like what the fuck i can't stop any of these and whenever i do it like stings the shit out of my hands and i'm like good you will never encounter that in your life while you're playing so get used to that so i had him just spend days just absolutely smoking shots and now um well not not anymore she was a nationally ranked keeper the number one nationally ranked keeper a couple like two years ago then she got hurt fucked up her hip and now she's back playing on a on a club but yeah i don't know what it is about women's goalkeepers and moving and jumping at the same time it's they're so uncoordinated strange. it's ridiculous it's it's and always the scores are so fucking crazy it's like fucking 11 to 3 or something like that it's, it's just so stupid i feel like you should have clarified like if like you know i need you to drill her and just be like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. You are holding a soccer ball. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, I understand what you're talking about now. Awesome. <laughs> Just in case. Oh my God. It was, yeah, it was fucking soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case, man. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> no, no, no. It was soccer. It was soccer and it was okay. like, it, it was training. With, with women's soccer, I've coached a women's team before. I find that they aren't less talented. They're just not physically there. Like the, the physical difference is insane. And that's why it's a regular practice for like college teams or professional women's clubs. They go and they play local middle and high school teams for, for practice because the physicality of a middle or a high school men's team is higher than a professional women's team. But the skill level, that's where, you know, you can 
look at a at a women's team and be like, oh, skill and talent wise, they have it, but physicality, they just don't, and they just get dominated off the ball. Um, so it's a very regular practice for that to happen. But when you say that, for whatever reason, people are like, no, that's sexist. But like any college coach or professional women's coach, like that is a thing that happens regularly. Right. People, no, people I don't believe there's anything to do with sexism, specifically with the pay gap and all that crap that's been going on with the uh, U.S. team, women's team. That's that's just so ridiculous. It's been debunked so many times over and over that it's clearly bullshit and that they get way more benefits than the actual men do. But no, we want equal. Why do you want equal pay? None of the men are paid equally in between each other either. Like, right. do you think everyone gets paid as much as, let's say, Ronaldo or Messi get paid? Fucking no, they don't. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Right. It's it's stupid in such in such a in such work conditions. You can't like in sports. You can't be demanding for you know equal pay because you don't have equal skill. Not one athlete is the same as the other in any sport whatsoever. So it's fucking ridiculous to be sitting here and being like, "Oh, you're sexist. We bring in revenue. Half of your fucking stadiums are empty. What are you on about?" People have to do right. campaigns like out of their way. Here, Doritos is trying to give away free tickets for the Women's World Cup. Are you kidding me? Like nobody watches it because it's not like I understand the physicality part. You understand that because obviously you've trained people. But on the other hand, when you watch a game and you just see that they don't think when they play, there's no tactic, there's no anything. Like it's, it's way beyond just physicality. It's just like people just need to understand that not everything is for everyone. And it's, it's so fucking hard to accept that for some reason. Well, the main difference between just from a coach's perspective between women's soccer and men's soccer Women will do absolutely everything you say to a T, and that's to the point of failure. Men will not listen to you to the point of failure. Um, so like women, if you're like, hey, you're a striker, at no point should you be back defending in like the 18-yard box. You just shouldn't be. But then let's say there's a counter, and for whatever reason, she's the last line of defense, she will literally – track the defender to the 18 yard box and then just stop and be like, my coach told me not to track into the box. So I'm not going to track into the box. Now, men, on the other hand, you're like, Hey, this is your position. Stay in your position. And then they'll be on the other side of the fucking field and leave (laughs) their entire side of the pitch open. And it's just like, it's so funny. um, At least from, like I said, a coach's perspective, seeing the differences because if you go and try and coach a women's team the way that you coach a men's team, you're not going to work because the thing the thing about football that makes men's soccer so successful, I think, is partially how undisciplined positionally men are because they just don't listen to coaches. They're like – they're creative, dare I say. Like they're like, oh, coach said I have to do this, but I see an opportunity to do this, so I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take that initiative. Hmm. Women, on the other hand – will only do what you tell them to and they will do it exactly how you said to do it and it creates this kind of robotic play on the pitch that just isn't entertaining because you know nobody's doing skill moves because like oh well you know my coach said like don't do that fancy shit so i'm not going to do that fancy shit even if that's how i beat you know a defender he said not to do it i'm not going to do it and it just creates this very robotic play which you would think would be like, oh, like I can appreciate the technical aspect of it. But like, you know, you think of Germany, right? Germany, the men's national team is the most technical 
fucking team in the world. Everything that they do is like so fucking technical and perfect. But it's still entertaining to watch because you're watching a literal like machine that still allows creativity. But with women's soccer, for the most part, it's just very like, oh, they're forming a triangle. Oh, they're not branching out of that triangle. They're playing down the field in a triangle. Literally, they're just passing in a triangle down the entire pitch. And it's just very, very robotic and yeah that's and what i mean there's no thought there's no there's no technique there's not there's not much there and okay sure you listen to your coach whatever but your coach is there to give you indication how to improve your game what to do tactics wise but on the other hand you are the person that's supposed to do the play think how you can improve how you can you know benefit your team regardless if you're getting out of position see that's why we get games in in men's uh, soccer football however you want to call it that fucking goalkeepers fucking score goals <laughs> like i'm sorry like i gave that example yesterday when we were speaking about chelsea and how you have fucking the entire team has scored each player has scored a goal like so there you go there's no it's like what are you talking about positions these people don't right. give a shit their point is fucking score a goal that's it make it entertaining i think also the the biggest gap too is the the when we talk about skill level, for example, like like growing up in South America and seeing how some people treat the sport itself and then seeing how kids are being raised here to treat soccer as like, for example, the first time I heard about a soccer camp, I was like, what the fuck do you mean there's a soccer camp? Like you go to a camp and play soccer. That's like in South America, that's what you do every day. Like I've been to soccer camp for two years, the last two years, you know, like it's one of those things that you do to, you know, escape hunger, escape insecurity, family violence, or you're literally an orphan or whatever. And it's, it almost seems like if you were to put an eight year old from Argentina versus an eight-year-old from America, and you studied their organic proficiency at handling the ball, first uh, first touch errors, and all that. It would drastically show you that this kid that has been playing in the streets with, you know, we used to play with like juice cartons that we would fill up with like toilet paper and like cardboard and stuff, like not a ball whatsoever. This kid would have such a much better understanding of uh, space and time, uh, first touch. Um, how to control a ball better. Like th- there's so much that they have experienced through millions and millions of iterations of, of trial and error in, in street soccer versus a kid that, you know, gets his cleats and he goes and only plays in grass and only goes, goes and does it for an hour or two once a week. Right. So when you compare the level between the two, it's like this kid is going to be a monster at 12 and they usually tend to be Brazilian. Like if you look at, uh, footage from Ronaldinho or Neymar when they were like super young those kids were like running laps around like people that were like five years older than them and I think that's one of the biggest gaps between our younger generations and um, the South American or even European it's just that 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 football is a way of life in other countries whereas here it's more like secondary in a way <laughs> Well, you see that with like um, Brazilians in the in the favelas. They're they're very poor, mm-hmm. and they don't play with any boots. They yeah. don't they they play on the street with like you said. They'll they'll fill up a juice carton, mm-hmm. and they'll make a ball out of that. And think of how 
floppy and like that ball's not coming to you perfect. So you have to learn to react to the ball. You have to learn how to play a ball on an uneven surface. Like, and it makes it so when you finally get those boots and you're finally on like a turf pitch, you're like, this is fucking easy. Exactly. Um, and just the cultural difference where here in America, like it's starting to change a little bit in some ways, good in some ways, bad where like baseball and American football dominated and soccer was like, Oh, you're a foot fairy, mm-hmm. you know, like, or, you know, like the big thing that I was always told growing up, I was literally called like a faggot, <laughs> you know, like people associated it with like gay and like yeah. being bad. I don't know yeah. why it was, it was strange. They'd be, like, please. <laughs> they'd be like, Oh, you're a little foot fairy playing faggot. And I'm like, yeah what does that have to do with soccer? Like, right. <laughs> you know, and they would like say that shit. And then like that, that type of culture is starting to change because one, you just can't call people faggots anymore. Um, and two, like people are realizing that soccer is actually like a physical sport. Everybody treated it like, Oh, you're a wuss. Like, you know, and they, they just didn't view it as like a real sport, but now, you know, what I think happened, the rich white kids in America, their parents were like, I don't want my kids to get hurt playing American football. Right. So now we're going to start playing soccer. So all the rich white kids started playing it, and then they started making all these clubs and, 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 and all these things. And then that's when you started to see the development start happening more and more, kind of like that trickle down. But the problem is as well, that Americans don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And they're so fucking stubborn when it comes to football. Yeah. That, like the MLS, they have fucking playoffs. No other league in the world, no right. top flight league playoffs? in the world has playoffs. Right. Like, How do you have playoffs like, in football? <laughs> How does that work? I, so it's not, there's a table. Don't get me wrong. Two conferences. So, yeah, there, yeah. There's two conferences. There's the Eastern and Western conference in, um, in, in the MLS, which this type of structure might make sense if they were like a second division and the MLS wasn't the top division. Cause like, I know in like the championship in England, they have playoffs for like the top clubs um, to gain promotion. Right. Um, well, right. Yeah. 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 I understand now what you mean. Right. I get it. But, but in America you could finish with like 80 points be first place and you don't win the league, you still have to go through playoffs and brackets and play other clubs and then go to a championship game. It's the most Americanized thing that I can ever like fucking imagine. And then that's how you win the league. So a club that comes in like sixth, but makes the playoffs can eventually, let's say they made the playoffs with like 50 points. And then there's another club that made 80 points. Right. Then they play in the final and maybe that club that has 80 points has like an off day and they lose. And it's like, so we just grinded our ass outscored this other club by like 30 points on the fucking season. And we're not the champions. Like it's tough. It's really tough. And and we're the only uh, major, we're not even a major league. I'm not going to call us a major league, but like, that's the problem with, you know, that's some of the problems uh, with soccer in America where it's just, the structure is so different than the rest of the world. And we're so stubborn. We're like, we need playoffs in a championship game when that doesn't, that's not how football works. That's like mixing club football with champions. Like that's so confusing or like with a euros or something like that, that type, like it's a whole lot of mixture. It's so strange. 
Like I, I've not, I've not really watched many games or if any at all of uh, American soccer. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I get depressed enough with the English one. I don't need, you know, to get extra angry. <laughs> yeah. Jorge and I would go to Rapids matches, and I got season tickets because I like to be angry and disappointed all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I mean, we would go and you saw some of the pictures of, um, of Barrios. He's a, he's a player on the Rapids. <laughs> they, I'm going to, I'm going to complain. It, somebody from the Rapids is going to listen to this and they're going to be like, why is that shitting on the You're going to get her he fired a- before he even gets the job. <laughs> Dude, the Rapids, this isn't just the Rapids. They're just a good example because I watched them play for a couple years in person. It's consistent. It is consistently the same problems. And that if they had half a clue on how to actually implement tact and structure to their club, they would dominate because the rest of the MLS doesn't do that. They will leave this extremely talented pacey winger who only creates chances with the ball anytime he gets the ball and they actually do what they're supposed to he's creating a goal scoring opportunity yep. maybe not a goal but every time i'm not every probably like 80 percent of the time i'd love to see statistics he is ass cheeks naked on the fucking wing <laughs> and everybody crowds one side of the pitch and he's standing there by yeah. himself on sides and they won't play him the fucking ball right i don't get it right I don't understand. He is sitting there. Yeah. And then every so often, they'll do it like once or twice a, a game. They will play the ball to him. He will run it into the box, either score, get an assist, or creating a goal-scoring opportunity. And I'm like, you see it works. Right. Why? Like the other teams don't even defend it right. because they just don't do it. It blows my fucking mind. And I think that's that South American mentality because he's. I think he's from Colombia. In the way that I see him use space and time, it kind of allows me to understand that this guy gets it, right? He knows that, hey, when these guys go to a throw-in, they're all bunch up, bunch up like it's peewee soccer. And they do that for the for the goal kicks too. Like all of a sudden when they're kicking a goal kick, you see that everyone in the field like huddles up to one side, which is the weirdest shit ever. But he understands that where there's space, there's time. And then he just goes and stands by himself. He could open a coffee stand at that point and sell Colombian coffee and treats <laughs> if he wanted to. And then – the, the funny thing is that usually uh, I'm against me- uh, passing by memory, right? Like knowing in your head, like Barrios is probably going to be there and just making a pass because maybe he won't be. And then the coach is going to chew your ass out, right? But consistently, he finds himself alone in the same area to the point where it almost justifies making those like David Beckham, Roberto Carlos passes from one side to the other very accurately. And the funny part is that they can do it because I've seen them warm up. You've seen them warm up. And man, Yarbrough the other day was doing some really precise kicking where he was just handing it to uh, kicking it to one of his coaches. And it was very precise. He was controlling with the chest, bringing it down. Beautiful. And then they go and do a short goal kick when the game is actually happening i'm like what the fuck (laughs) it's so weird it's it's the stubbornness of american football even if you have foreign nationals even if you have a foreigner coaching i don't know what it is but there's something about football in america where you get there and 90 percent of common sense 
that you might know goes out the fucking window. Yeah. I don't I don't understand it. You have Barrios ass cheeks naked the entire game and they refuse to play it. You have Yarbro, the goalkeeper, doing it's insane. Yeah. Short goal kicks every single time and the other team will start high pressing and they panic right. they don't understand they'll be in high pressure and they're like you want to know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna lose the ball yeah. instead of playing it out bro and their morale is getting bad too i don't know if you on the last game against uh austin there were some like serious defender issues and stuff and then the game before uh, the, the game of the 4th of July, I mean, every time that the other team would score, it was like all of them would look at each other and start like pointing fingers, literal pointing fingers like you, dude. Like this one dude was like, oh, I didn't hear. And it's like, well, if you didn't hear shit, then that means you probably should have cleared the ball, right? Like what's your SOP for this? Like either he says mine or everyone yells clear it. Do you guys have a system in place? So that was- Uh-oh. Oh, your audio cut out. <laughs> He was on the roll. Yeah, he was. Oh, nope, no. Nope, we're still going. Oh, we lost Jorge. Hey, do you guys like war belts? <laughs> well, let me tell you about a super high military grade army spec <laughs> war belt from one of our most near and dear sponsors, Advanced Warfighter Solutions. Not only are they super high military grade and quality, they are also civilian grade and quality and actually really fucking cool belts. I highly recommend that you get one. I've been using mine for years, even long before AWS has been a sponsor of this podcast. So if you use code ARTANDWAR10, you can save some, I think it's $10 off of uh, AWS SMU warfighting belt. We don't get any kickback from that. You just save money and they're a they're an awesome company that also contributed to Nathan's iPad fund because he needed a new iPad. So good for them. They're really cool. Thank you very much. Thanks, AWS. Hey, this is Mitchell with Seaburn Art. Did you know that we have a Patreon? We do have a Patreon, and there's a ton of cool things there. Super cool things, and Nathan's going to tell you about them. Hey, guys. Nathan here from the Art and War podcast here to tell you about Patreon um, there's a, a 24 hour Korean massage parlor several blocks from my house and I go there for happy endings. It gets pretty expensive and I need you to donate me money so I can continue to, to serve my dark, um, my dark addiction. Not only can you help Nathan get hand jobs from Koreans, you can also help us continue to improve the quality of content that we do. You get merch now after a couple months of being a Patreon subscriber, which is cool. We also have stickers and we also have high res downloadable targets that you can download, send to Staples and get weird looks when you print them out to bring them to your range and shoot. Also all of our guides, all of our guides are downloadable high res so if you want to print them out and make a cool little book yeah you can go for that too you can find our patreon via the link in this episode's description or in the cbnr pages bio on instagram now let's get back to the show but yeah i don't know what what was i saying about the oh the communication between the defenders yep yeah, they start pointing fingers at each other, you know, and like it's kind of funny because like your bro reminds me a lot of like God bless Iker Casillas, love him, <laughs> uh, but Casillas would get really mad when someone would score a goal, and I get it, he's the, he's the saint, right? He is amazing goalkeeper, and he would point and like ask like, but he it's because he understood, right? But with these guys, it's more about ego. It's like we just got dunked on, 
with three defenders and one guy. And somehow the, the attacker got the ball and scored. And Yarbrough was planted under the three poles for some reason. He likes to be under the three poles. He's not very proactive like Neuer. Likes to go out and try to intercept balls and stuff. But then once the other team scores, it's like immediately they start like finger pointing at each other. And to me, I'm looking at that and going like, dude, you're in front of your like supporters right here pointing fingers at each other. To me, that looks terrible. Right, because you're you're all you all should be embarrassed. That was a terrible goal that you just conceded. Stop pointing fingers at each other. And just be like, all right, gather yourself and be mature and just fucking keep going. And that's one of the biggest things that I'm like, dude. The unit cohesion of those guys is just not. It's not very good. Well, it's it goes back to the complete lack of structure, and I think they're getting frustrated with each other because some of like Abubakar and a couple of those other players. They grew up playing the right way, and they know what they're doing. But I, like I said, I don't know what it is. Players get to the MLS, and all common sense, out the fucking window. Right. Offsides traps? Nah, we're not going to be a unit. Right. Defending as a team? No, we're going to defend as individuals. Like, right. it just goes out the fucking window. And, like... Like you brought up Casillas, I'm gonna bring up Gigi Buffon, who's a better goalkeeper than Casillas. Um, <laughs> Your dreams. You gotta think of like, you think of Gigi Buffon. He would yell at his defenders. Right. But let's look at who his defenders were. He had Chiellini, right. Barzagli, and uh, Bonucci, who right. were some of the greatest defenders you know to, to to ever live and the greatest goalkeeper to ever live. And they would yell at each other, but it would be effective communication because right. they all know what they're talking about. They all have played together for years, both right. club and country, and they all get it and they all understand it. And if somebody's fucking up, they hold each other accountable. Right. But the thing with the MLS and the thing with the Rapids, they aren't accountable for each other. They're just blaming each other. And they're just yelling, and it's it's not effective communication. It's just I'm angry. I'm gonna yell at you. Right. Eh. right. To save face with the fans and and in camera, they're just like, look at how angry I mean I am. This means that it wasn't me, because look at how angry I am. I'm the first one to scream, so obviously I know what went wrong. And it's like eh, you're yeah. also part of the problem, Yarbro. You could have come out and caught the ball. You could have said something. You know, Yarbro. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, definitely, but circling back again to Casillas, who, by the way, he is the best goalkeeper. I don't want to hear it from you. But uh, Wrong. Yeah. She's holding that Champions <laughs> League over our heads so hard. <laughs> I'm not Second backing best. up. But uh, aside, from, uh, aside from the obviously pointless argument we're having, um, <laughs> he, as you said, Buffon was angry at those specific defenders. But when you think about it, at the time when Casillas was playing, let's say, for Real Madrid, uh, it was so fucking highly intense and it was so at such high stakes. We're talking about these are incredible games, right. including right. World Cup, right. including World Cup, which was incredibly emotional for them. Right. But, you know, this is like high stakes at cost. So them shouting at each other, trust me, that that that's, it's all the nerves and everything else. Uh, yeah, it's justified. It. But, uh, yeah, of course it's justified. But when you're... Um, it comes down to, you know, um, it's like that with most things in life, really. When you're inexperienced, you start blaming things on anyone else but yourself, you know, instead yeah. of improving. Uh, is the case. Did you guys tell me that Bale is going to MLS? Yeah. Bale so, and Chiellini now play for LAFC. Wow. So pretty much 
Bale is going from one Tottenham to another. <laughs> That's the case. Oh, uh, it's tough. Except he's going to a much lower competitive division. That's what happened with Bale is kind of sad. Like he is. was, he was a fantastic player. He still is. He still is. He, he still is. So you're you're a Madrid fan. What happened? I I kind of have an idea. Away. I'm not. I'm. What did what happened? We'll give that away. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I obviously know what I know, but from watching, but from a real Madrid fan, what happened with Bale at Madrid? Because there was a lot of like, there was a lot of shit. What happened with him is we're circling back to Zidane, right? Zidane, bless him. He's brilliant, brilliant player, brilliant manager, but with Zidane, you had the same regurgitated tactics and players over and over and over again to a point in which you have 91 fucking injuries in one season and you lose any possible you know chance for any type of trophy be it your league be it the champions league be it, you know copa del rey any fucking thing at the time that was like two seasons ago it was atrocious and it's um that's that's one of the things with with managers is sure if it ain't if it ain't broken don't fix it no you always have to be adaptable and fix otherwise you're risking your players to get injured um, considering you're playing with an old squad because you know majority of Madrid is old you know even though you know a lot of players are leaving now and you know way youngers are being bought but what happened with um, Bale at the time is. Um, it's, it's a lot with the, the whole politics of being benched, not being played. And a lot of coaches and managers let in the entire, you know, thing of personal feelings getting in between them and, you know, playing or not playing people. It's like uh, Benzema not being on the French team. Why wasn't he on the French team? Because a fucking manager didn't fucking like him. Simple as wow. that. Sometimes it's just simple as that. And you're, you're just lacking on good players because of that. And to me, in my opinion, Bale being benched for so long and not playing was a waste of a good fucking player. You know, obviously <laughs> like Michael Owens, remember that shit? Madrid bought him and then he just sat there the entire time that he was but imagine that. <laughs> it's it's the case with with our, with our players when we were under Zidane. It's just like, you know, oh let's play Marcelo, let's fucking tortured the hell out of Modric because, you know, he's one of our best players in, in our history. So why the fuck not? You know, right. let's do that with Tony Cruz. Let's do that with Ramos. What happened with Ramos? Fucking incredibly bad knee injuries. He was out on major tournaments and we lost a shit ton in, in, incredibly important matches. You know, it's it was just a whole mess. Like, he's in PSG it, now, right? Sorry? He's in PSG now, right? Yeah, unfortunately, he is because right, of... that sucks. Because but see, of- that seems to be the con- the constant with Madrid. It's like they always like throw their stars to the garbage, and that's what they did to Casillas. Yeah, you know, I have to, I have to disagree with you a little bit when it comes down to Ramos specifically and a few other players. People always say, "Oh, Madrid disrespects their players." Yeah, but you, on the other hand, you have a player who is arguing over salary when he's older and he's not performing as he used to perform, and. You have to think about the club's finances. That's why Barcelona is in the state they are right now and Madrid is not. Because as 
our, you know, Papa Perez says no player is bigger than Madrid. And I, I stand behind that. No player right. is bigger than the club. No fucking player should think that they are above the club and that they deserve more than whatever they're being paid. Unless, you know, it's like extremely, you know, underpaid or whatever it is. But you with know? Casillas, it was about performance. Because I remember that they let him go because he was just underperforming, right? Yeah, no, no but the thing is, at the time when he, uh, when he went from... Uh, Madrid to Porto, he was developing heart issues that were, you know, slowing him down, that were making him significantly weaker, you know, and he wasn't quite aware of that when, you know, we had the scare a few years ago when he had a heart attack. It was very unfortunate, but that that was down to that. I disagree with that. I'm not saying they haven't disrespected players, but a lot of the times when people bring that up, usually it's because of uh, salary disputes. People not right, wanting right. to lower their salaries. Um and, uh, you know, sure, they're complaining, but look at this now. Even not at our best, we're still winning Champions League. Right, we? right. So, and Ronaldo, I think Ronaldo wanted to be treated more as, as some sort of superstar, like a model. And the social media model that Juventus has over Real Madrid is just so much better. Like, they treat their players like they're superstars, which they are. But they also showcase that on social media. And, it, like, their media is just fucking incredible. Whereas with Madrid, it's just you show up and watch them play and they're cool. And then that's team. about you're it. Not, you're not a single player. I don't understand this special treatment for single players. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. The same goes. <laughs> for uh obviously Ronaldo Messi a lot of a lot of fans a lot of Real Madrid fans will just not fucking let go of Ronaldo just fucking move on okay we're still doing right. great without him we won more El Clasico since he fucking left right. he wasn't that fucking beneficial on some points because you know he has a sense of selfishness on the field and you can't yeah. deny that obviously and when you're talking about football you're talking about team play you're not talking you still focus on individuals sure right. Well, you focus on individuals, but, you know, you're mentioning, you know, on the social media sense, why, why the hell should, you know, a specific player be more praised than any other player? Everyone's a key player in, in you know, in the game. At least that's how I feel about it. Mitch, Mitch is huffing and puffing. He's not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I'm huffing and puffing over a few things. Madrid, the way that I, I know that Casillas was developing a heart problem, but there is a more... It's a very good approach by Madrid. I want to. I want to. I want to preface anything I'm about to say with: I understand why Madrid does it. Why it's a business. It, yeah. They're a very successful club. That being said, there has to be a more appropriate way to go about getting right. rid of some of these players for their club. I mean, they did it to Casillas. One of the most egregious things mm-hmm. they could have done. I understand the Casillas thing. One of the most egregious things that I have ever seen Madrid done was their treatment of Kaylor Navas mm-hmm. when they brought in uh, Thibaut Courtois. I yeah. agree. Kaylor Navas was not underperforming. No, he wasn't. Kaylor Navas was not asking for more salary. He won how many fucking Champions League just off of a Champions League season yeah. where he was clinical. Right. And they go and they're like, yeah, but Thibaut Courtois, the six foot six, six rig from Belgium playing for Chelsea. So cute. He's, he was, he's not as good as Navas, though. Uh, but in my opinion, at least, I, I don't he's, see it. Like he's made so many fucking rookie mistakes over the years, horribly mm-hmm. dumb passes, it's like straight into the fucking you know enemy players, and they're fucking scoring at us stupid, ridiculous goals in combination. He used to do it all the time with Varane. 
every fucking time with stupid ass passes and like rookie mistakes that you don't do as a goalkeeper when you're playing for one of the best teams in the world, do you? So I understand. I 100% agree with you. Not everything, not every decision was clever. They have been mistreating people. I, I agree with Navas. I wish he had not left. I wish he was back with us, but that's the case. And, uh, no, you know, I think he would have improved our team way more than, uh, Courtois ever has. Well, what they could have done, very simply, they could have just sold Navas. Still a little disrespectful, but they could have sold Navas and then brought in Courtois as like, hey, we're going to do this. But what they did, they kept Navas and benched him and brought in Courtois and then sat the guy and then sent him to PSG. Like, so not that it's good at PSG for him right now because they have like 20 goalkeepers right now they have so many (laughs) I feel so bad for Navas he comes from a small country he's like the most successful player and he gets treated like that at Madrid on his way out after winning so many Champions League so many so many games with him Um, and then he goes to PSG gets the job and then they bring in he's, – he's still doing well at PSG. PSG's problems yeah. is way beyond yeah, fucking 100%. Navas. But then they're like, oh, Gigi Donnarumma just won yeah, the Euros and is like one of the – I hate it when it, they do that. They just buy players which are big now. Okay, let's – There's oh, hot right now. <laughs> yeah. This player's in the media. Let's fucking buy him. They've fucking hoarded right. like 40 players now. It's so stupid. It's like the Galactico era, which actually worked out back in the day. Like I was, I was shocked that a Frenchman, a Brazilian, a Portuguese, and a Spanish guy could just all understand each other. Because I thought that the experiment was going to be a complete shit show. Yeah, but well, didn't work out that well, did it? I mean, to some degree. I mean, they were they had some games that they were playing, and they were just completely eviscerating the the, the well, opponents, sure, like sure. six to one, like nine to two. I remember some of those. But with this PSG team, that's like the, it's technically their Galactico era, which I mean, they had Buffon at one point. They're trash. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like not even Messi can just like it, it goes to show that. Like when we talk about who's the goat between Ronaldo and Messi, we have to give it to to Ronaldo because Ronaldo has played consistently in three different leagues, went back to Manchester United now, and then Messi only played for Barcelona and was only great because he had Xavi and Iniesta with him that were, were serving him the, the balls and he needed. And Busquets. Put some fucking respect on Sergio Busquets' <laughs> name. All right. And fucking, uh, whereas Cristiano Ronaldo, I mean, he was just completely dominating in all those three leagues and went back to Manchester United and still doing it and i think that's a big difference between the two right like you can't really just expect messi to be the greatest of all time by just being great with xavi and iniesta you know those are not conditions and sergio busquets (laughs) i will i will be clamoring for sergio busquets till the day i fucking die he is the most underrated underrated player in the world right without sergio busquets barcelona doesn't have the success that they do spain doesn't have the success that they do this guy is quiet Right. Quietly one of the best midfielders of all time. Right. Di Maria but, is also quite underrated on that end as well. Yeah, now it's on Juventus. Um, but back to PSG. I love seeing PSG fail because it's just showing <laughs> that like you can't just throw money at your club right. and expect to win. Mm-hmm. Like how much money did they spend on Neymar and then Mbappe? Right. And then they bring in Messi and Ramos, and they sign two world-class goalkeepers, and then they're just bringing in all these players and not developing a club culture. The chemistry. And they're like, 
yeah they're like oh we have messi now so like we're gonna win games exactly (laughs) juventus made that mistake with ronaldo ronaldo did everything that he could but the problem that i call it the ronaldo effect um you didn't really see it at madrid as much because they're a much more current and well-run club than juventus and united are right now but with with juventus we got ronaldo and we're like oh we're gonna win a champions league yeah and it's like yeah you have the greatest (laughs) player of all time but that doesn't mean that you can just give him the ball and you're gonna win it's not like basketball where if you have like michael jordan or like lebron james like there's only five other you know five players on the court you have 11 players that all need to work together and you have ronaldo who's like 35 and still in incredible physical conditioning and still an incredible talent but you're not getting 28 year old ronaldo and even if you are like he needs help and he needs the players to actually play juventus got ronaldo and they're like yep this is it it. we're all good buffon came back from psg it's like we're doing it And, and and we're like we don't need a midfield midfield we have ronaldo and then ronaldo will pull insane comebacks out of his asshole for us right. but nobody else can perform like that that game against atleti in the champions league where diego Simeone, one of my favorite coaches grabs his nuts as he beats juventus and then ronaldo the next game is like oh you're gonna grab your fucking dick well watch this here's a hat trick uh, to fuck you wow I have never seen a single person dominate a game like I did that game with Cristiano Ronaldo. He's like, oh, my club sucks. I'm going to win this fucking game. Right. Scores a hat trick, goes right up to Diego Simeone and grabs his dick. And I'm like, this is top-notch quality Ronaldo. This is personal at that point, right? And I think that that's the biggest difference between these players of that caliber. Like, they put in the extra work, right? I've heard stories of David Beckham staying in uh, practice uh, at Manchester United for an extra two hours just practicing free kicks, right? And when you think about it, one of his free kicks is what got England to go to a World Cup. Right against Greece. So putting in that extra work is what I see that going back to the MLS, that's what is doesn't seem like it's working here. It's almost like a nine to five job to them, where it's just like if we leave the the stadium, they're not gonna stay there and then continue practicing for three hours. No, they're not that's not gonna happen. And that's the difference between being great and then being in the MLS, it seems. The MLS is a retirement league. Right. Everybody and it's it's funny to see. You'll have these world class players big names like Bastian Schweinsteiger, mm-hmm. uh, David Beckham, Wayne Rooney, the most overrated English player of all time, <laughs> and a couple other like Bale, Chiellini, one of the greatest defenders of right. all time. They're like almost 40 years old. They come to the MLS. Dominate. And dominate. Like Sebastian Giovinco, I don't know if you guys remember him. He was a red shirt midfielder first Juventus back in the day. Gets signed to Toronto FC. Like, this guy barely played. He wasn't that good. He was a midfielder. Gets signed to Toronto FC, an an MLS club. They put him at striker, and the dude becomes the most successful striker in MLS history. (laughs) Like, like, it's just the talent gap is so big. And people are like, no, the MLS is getting better. Look at all these big names that are coming to the MLS. And I'm like, they're coming after their prime for a paycheck. Like, they don't have to put in the effort. Um, Andrea Pirlo, when he went to uh, New, New York, York City. City, dude, that dude, y- y- there's a whole compilation of this guy on YouTube. 
actively not trying during matches. <laughs> like, Chills out, like, Game Boy. <laughs> there, there's this, this funniest thing. It's a free kick. He's standing on the post. He could have easily, like very easily, just like blocked the goal. And you see him just like watch the ball go in and people are like <laughs> – like they, they they go there and they don't care. Right. You have Bash Thierry Henry went to the MLS and they made him a fucking center back <laughs> and he dominated. <laughs> How do you have Thierry Henry, uh, one of the best attackers of the time, come to the MLS in his like thirties? And you want to know what they're you want to know what they're like? Hey, we're we're struggling on defense, so we're gonna take this you know really really prolific attacker and just put him at center back. Are you fucking kidding me? And he was good. It's, they could have like, made Magoli, and he probably would have worked out too. <laughs> just the talent gap is so, so incredibly big, and people get in their head that they're like, "No, we have big names. We have big names here now." Like Messi already has a deal to come to the MLS in like two seasons. Wow. And like, don't get me wrong. It helps the like, economy. Yeah, I mean, like it's. Like you sign Ronaldo and your club's value is going to go right. up. You're going to sell more tickets. Yeah. You're going to sell more kits. You're going to make more money. But like you're getting an out of prime Messi to come to the MLS in two years. Right. And like he'll still be Messi and he will still dominate. But the dude isn't going to be out there putting in the effort he was at Barcelona. Are you fucking kidding right. me? He's going to be playing at like 20% of his capabilities. He's going to be shitting on everyone. He's going to be collecting a paycheck. And then he's going to go retire back to fucking like Argentina or fucking Spain right. or wherever he wants to go. Like it's not like this just not you. You have to develop your domestic league and players domestically to make your league good and successful. And you have to not have playoffs and you have to not. I, I could rant all fucking day <laughs> about the United States and their whole quality of football. What about Zlatan? Wasn't he in Galaxy or whatever? I was going to say, we got to give props to Zlatan because he's the only one that went to MLS and tricked us into thinking he was retiring. And then he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go play real football again and continue to dominate. And that's exactly what he did. Wins a trophy in the Serie Insane. <laughs> The dude's insane. He's like, he goes to the MLS. He stays there for like a season, scores some insane. I, I say they're insane match. just because there's a lot First of match, yeah. insane goal that he scored against Galaxy. Incredible. And then oh, no, with Galaxy. He's like, he's like, oh, what did he post? He posted something. He's like, I came, I conquered, and now I'm going to the Serie A, a top five <laughs> league in the world, to AC Milan, and I'm going to win AC Milan a title for the first time in like fucking 15 insane. years. And the dude's almost 40. He's hysterical. For his size, he scores impressive goals. I give him that. Yeah. I love Ibrahimovic. You watch his highlights at like Ajax when he was real young. And the dude was slicing and dicing on the ball, which is incredible for somebody that big. Yeah, He's an incredible, incredible player. But the MLS, man. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the youth. The, the youth. The uh, youth development system in America is so fucked too. I stopped going and getting my licenses because I was just getting so fucking frustrated with how right. they wanted to go about things. So so the way that it works, the rest of the world has like standardized licenses through like FIFA or their league or whatever it is. So the, the MLS has the same thing too. And the reason that that exists is because they're trying to build up the national team. 
So they want everybody to be on the same page. They want their youth to play a certain way. That way, when they get to the national level, they can have a good cohesive national squad who kind of knows how to play because they grew up playing the same way. So I'm going through and getting um, one of my one of my licenses, and they told me the style of play that they want the U.S. team to do is one touch and volleys. And I'm like, mm-hmm. one, we're not Brazil. Right. Two, that's not a style of play. Right. Like that is like a skill or a component within a style of play. Like, how do you do? You guys want to be counter attacking? Do you guys want to be balls. you know like best do you want to play some long balls do you want to be fast build up slow build up and they're like nope juggling one touch and volleys and i'm like that's not a style of play (laughs) that's like beach soccer but but that's what they're teaching the coaches in these licensing processes and then that gets put into our youth academies in in america and then they wonder why we're not fucking, we're losing to Trinidad and Tobago right. a couple of years ago to not qualify for a World Cup in a match that means everything to us. We win, we qualify for the World Cup, we lose, we don't. Trinidad, Tobago, they win, they don't get anything. They lose, they don't get anything. And we can't beat Trinidad and fucking Tobago. Right. Like, it's two countries we couldn't beat. Right. Two small countries that weren't in the World Cup haven't done anything on a national stage we're the united states of america we have a huge population we have such great athletes and we can't beat trinidad and tobago to qualify for the world cup and then we're like nah one touches and volleys that's what we want to do as a style of play it just shows such lack of understanding lack of structure and it's only going to get worse because this generation is going to grow up doing one touches and volley since they're fucking kids and then they're going to get up to a pro level, and anytime they go to leave outside the U.S. and go play in a real league, they're going to get shit yeah. on because all they know is one touches and volleys, and they're not talented enough to even do that properly. Right. Like it's the coaching mentality too is a little bit annoying too because like that program that you were telling me about, the U.S. soccer program, uh, I'm going through the 11 v 11 program in i mean some of this stuff it's just like i don't like to sound like a boomer talking about participation trophies and stuff but (laughs) like the coach the coaching method of guided questions right where like you ask the player where can we see some openings what do you think you could have done better it's always guided questions so the player figures it out on his own and it's just like no how about you tell him what the fuck he did wrong it's clear cut and dry like it's basic soccer fundamentals hey man your first touch was garbage there and you lost the ball where you shouldn't have lost it don't do that again roger okay cool all right thank you coach but instead they change it into like this like let's let's care about their feelings so that way they have fun is ariana not having fun in her position who gives a fuck about that is she performing that then is she doing what she needs to do the ball is not going to her then that's fine is her her side of the team dominating cool but they're worrying so much about the psychology of these kids behind the game that they forget that they're playing a game that you're supposed to be playing to win it's just insane they stopped using actual soccer balls now as far as i understood even here in the uk uh so kids don't get injured so they use like i i'm not too sure what they use but something else instead so they don't get like head injuries and stuff like that it's so stupid you know that this this is not this is never gonna you know create good players this is you know 
what's the fucking point you have one side of people that are like oh you know don't injure my kid and then you have the other side of fucking fans that are saying oh football is for pussies they never get injured you know that's so ridiculous and it's like you need you need to build their build their physical performance and like uh you know, they, they need to, you know, build immunity to all of this stuff because uh, at the end of the day, people can say, sure, football is, you know, for pussies, you know, is because of divers. This It, it has right. this reputation because of fucking divers. But, right. you know, everyone does for their team whatever the fuck they can so they can win a penalty, so they can win points, they can win a goal. We understand that most people don't. But on the other hand, you do have the physical part, which is, it is a dangerous sport like any other sport. This is people running at incredibly high speeds and the right. impact of everything, you know, even a slight lick can actually injure you quite badly. But right. and, and when you have your kids playing with what you fucking balloons or whatever the fuck they're playing with, you, you're not playing them with, with soccer balls. You're not letting them, you know, you know, push or kick or punch or whatever, you know, they want to do. How, how is that going to build any, you know, good player whatsoever? Of course, they're all going to end up, you know, being pussies or whatever people want to say there are. That's one thing that we probably need to do as, as a as a service to the listeners. To I feel like we should do some sort of kind of like myth busters when it comes to like soccer and, and football and stuff. Because it's like a lot of people think that these dives and, and, and I get it. Like selling a foul is an art form, right? As an Italian, we know how to do it. it. It just it's a tactical decision. It doesn't look good when you're like Neymar and you're rolling down the pitch like a like, you know, like a fairy just rolling down, just selling it out. Yeah, that's awful. There's a lot of sketchy stuff that happens in soccer but whenever you get a cleat that clips you in your tibia and it's super fast and you don't see and you know all of a sudden you see that a player falls down and they're they're holding their tibia and it looks like it hurts just wait until you see the slow-mo before you call them a pussy and you think oh no they're just like diving because this is soccer just wait until you see the slow-mo and once you see the slow-mo you can see oh yeah that's a full set of cleats that landed on the top portion of his foot and i'm willing to guarantee that if i was to do that to you you would be on the ground as well just crying like a pussy so there's there's the two they do dive and it's an art form and it's yeah it's a little ugly and they're doing it in the nba now lebron is doing it i was just gonna say but but at the same time when whenever an injury does happen and it happens very quick just just do it for me just wait for the slow-mo and then see if there was contact if there was contact i'm willing to guarantee you that it was probably nasty and that's the reason why that person's on the ground and if it wasn't then that person's selling a foul to try to get someone like cristiano ronaldo with a yellow so now they have to be extra careful so they don't get kicked out or even a red dude that happened at the rapids game the other day uh, a ball was coming out. This guy kind of had his cleats forward, which is a little bit of a dangerous play. And then the Rapids player went to kick the ball, knowing full well that those cleats were presented. As he made contact, he saw the fuck out of that foul. And guess what? That dude got a, a red card, and then the, the Rapids got super lucky after that. It, it's tactical. you know. A lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. Well, it and two things I want to mention with the with the concussion thing, I get up to a certain age. I understand it because you don't want six year olds getting right. concussions. Like I get, it. but there has to come a time where you have to realize that heading the ball is part of the game, and there's a certain inherent risk that comes with playing mm-hmm. sports. If you're 13 or 14 or 15, and you aren't allowed to head the ball, when you get 
to the pros or to a college level where you have to be good at heading the ball, you aren't going to be good at it and you're going to suck. So like you have to understand that playing a sport, a contact sport, which soccer is, there's inherent risk and there are more head injuries in soccer than there are in football. Um, I mean, that, that is a, that is a relevant statistic and head injuries aren't good. And like I said, six year olds should not be out there trying to head the ball because six year olds aren't coordinated enough to do it safely. I get that, but you have to, at a certain point, realize there is inherent risk mm-hmm. with the game. Secondly, when it comes to flopping, you have six foot seven, 240 pound LeBron James flopping when people brush mm-hmm. on him. It, 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 it's, it's part of any sport. Um, not hockey. I never see people flopping <laughs> hockey, but like even the NFL yeah. to draw penalties because it's a tactical way to do it. You know, there, there are times where it is egregious and it is over the top and it's kind of funny in like an, um, in a world football where like a player will go down and it looks really bad. And then like the camera will show him like peeking to see like if the ref is coming. He remembers. Yeah. But there's, there's ways to go, and it's not just always to get a foul. Sometimes if, like, your team has no momentum, it's a slow way to down. slow the yeah. game down, get everybody to recover, get some people some water. Like, there's a lot of tech that comes with it, and I get why some people might not think it's entertaining, but you have to understand that it is part of the game, and instead of being mad at the players, you should probably look at the rules or the refs because refs will change the way that they referee from game to game or match to match. And you should look at that and be like, why does this encourage that type of play? And then you should, you know, everybody, I'm kind of torn. I'm curious your guys' thoughts. What do you think of VAR? Do you think it's good? Or do you think that that human error of referees is something that is needed in football? Who goes first? Jorge, you go first. I, I go will- first. I think it was great because honestly, you know, it, and I was actually explaining to this to, to, to my wife the other day. It's like, let's think about the hand of God from Maradona, for example, right? Uh, that example that, that England versus Argentina are playing a World Cup. It's a very tense game. He scores a, uh, um, he scores a goal with his hand and that drives the game to, I think it was like 2-0, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that, right? So... Being too nail in soccer, it, it just is very defeating uh, psychologically for for another for another team. And if that goal would have been disallowed, obviously this was a long time ago. Computers were probably the size of a refrigerator at that point. But if that if VAR would have would have existed then, right? Or the penalty kick that was uh, uh, against Juventus that one time that was not a penalty kick, where Buffon got yeah, a red card. I will die I defending cheated. that, dude. I was How heated. does that not like uh, unbelievable? Whatever, but little things like that can change the course of a game and give a World Cup to Argentina, who may or may not have deserved it, right? Whereas now you can let the referee, not just one referee, but the the, the third guy, God up there in the skybox or whatever, get <laughs> to see what's happening, and he can give him, hey man, that ball, actually they disallowed a goal from uh, I think it was Austin at the 4th of July game with the Rapids, because in order for him, before he kicked it, he controlled it with his hand, right? And that's a perfect example, because that made the game 3-2, 
I think it was three, two. And it just gave Austin the lead completely. And I just looked at my wife. I was like, they're getting so fucking lucky that they just, that just happened right now. Cause with the, without the VAR, their lead would have extended further. And instead it's like, here you go. Or a player trying to be dirty, sending cleats and kicks or slapping action. That doesn't happen when uh, action that happens when the referee is not looking. Now they can be held accountable for doing some dirty shit. Right. But because, I mean, th- there's, for example, the, the World Cup in 2002, right, with Italy. All these offsides and uh, Maldini getting kicked in the face by the South Korean player. Um, it's great. disgusting, right? And it has been exposed as a scandal. Like that Ecuadorian uh, referee got paid millions to, to – he actually did – you, did you know that he got arrested with like 10 pounds of meth or some shit in an airport in New York or something like that? Something crazy like – yeah, the complete shit back, right? But, hey, we had a hell of a fucking team that year, right? It fucked us. It fucked Spain over because they were talking shit, saying, like, no, Italy got defeated by the South Koreans. Italians suck. And then their newspapers, literally the next game, they're like, oh, my God, the Italians were right. The referees are sold out. And if VAR would have been there, it would have been easy for the referee to hide his bullshit and not be able to do it so uh, effortlessly to just be like, no, he was offside. Why? Because fuck you. And I think that I think the VAR is just it's so much better to be able to to keep the the refs and the players and everyone held accountable. It just makes the the game far far more beautiful. In that sense, what do you think, Anna? Well, I personally think both have their pros and their cons. I think VAR has improved some parts of football. A lot of people think that it breaks like the you know the flow of the game or whatever. Um, I personally think when people start arguing over VAR, uh, nine out of ten times they don't know the rules of the of the game, and oftentimes it's argued mostly about offsides, you know, because of toenails, butt cheeks, and whatnot getting into fucking so you annoying. Know, alleged offsides, and you've had the no goal when you have the ball over the line, but it's still on the line itself. So that's technically not a goal. So that's that's for you. That's people not reading the rules. <laughs> but uh, to me, VAR improved on a sense that it kind of sort of helped with the paid refs stuff, sort of helped with corruption. It's still going on, you know, with my team, we're very, you know, famous for, you know, the paying refs thing. And, you know, before... Us too. Yeah, before VAR, it was like Real Madrid are never going to win anything when there's VAR. When VAR came along, oh, Real Madrid, you know, you only win because of VAR. So, no, you, you can't fucking win. You know, you can't fucking win with people. Um, VAR is good, but sometimes I believe there's some ridiculous, you know, you know, ridiculous decisions made with it. Sometimes ridiculous decisions made without it. Yeah. I think it should stay. I don't think it should be removed. Personally, I believe it's uh, I, I believe it's kind of beneficial on some on some right. ends. Yeah, I think it makes refereeing more consistent, and that's I think a frustrating thing in any sport where you watch and you just see inconsistent refereeing. Where like one time it's a foul for right. one team, and then it's not for the other, and then they try and make up for that later by calling something that's not a foul right. for that team, and it makes it so the refs can make the game less about them because that's a big problem sometimes where you have referees who think they're the you star. know they're you know they're the fucking star yeah. of the game and they have to make all these stupid calls um, i'll use a good example recently i went to 
a local soccer match. And this referee was yelling at the players. He's like, players on the, because they were talking shit to each other, but they were like, it was like a U 17 <laughs> club and the players were talking shit to each other, you know, as players do. I mean, like you talk shit, it's a competitive game. You're at a competitive club. Like you're going to talk shit. Like it's all about like the mind games. Like Zlatan is famous right. for doing it, getting people's heads, making them cause fouls. Like it's a very tactical thing or they just like to talk shit. And this ref starts yelling, if I see anybody on opposite teams communicating with each other, I'm giving you a card. What? I don't care. And I'm like, you can't do that. Like, like that's not a foul. Like you can't, you can, like, I understand like if you're like even, you know, doing something right. racist or something like physically hurt somebody, like sure, maybe then, but like you can't sit there and make this match about you and players are just talking shit. Like that's just part of the game. It's always been part right. of the game. And then he gave a kid a yellow for um, sellying after scoring a goal. And the selly wasn't even egregious. He just uh, – he didn't even do like a fucking triple fucking cartwheel backup. He just pointed to the back of wow. his kid and That's just so like bullshit. ran past like some players. And they were like – there was a rev runs right up to him, gives him the yellow. He's like excessive celebration. What? And I'm like, dude, this game isn't about right. you. Like this isn't about wow. you and how you feel about players talking shit. Like you can talk shit. You can sell. That's part of the game. Um, and I think VAR helps. I mean, it still happens, but VAR in general will help make it less about the refs and more about the actual play on the field because it makes them be more right. consistent. Um, you know, there's one example in the NFL last year, I was watching. I'm a big NFL guy as well. This guy who played for the Chicago Bears, he was like a, a backup linebacker who got cut by this team, the Steelers. And he was playing the Steelers, and he made a big play for his new team. And at half field, just looked over at the sideline. Didn't say a single word. Just looked over. Didn't flex. Just kind of looked over there. And the ref threw a fucking flag and was like taunting. And it's like... What the wow. fuck do you mean? He didn't say it. They showed. They zoomed in. And I felt so bad for this guy because it gave the other team a first down and it ended up like costing his team like big on that drive. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, how the fuck, one, is that taunting? And two, like, why are we making this game about the fucking right. referees? And it happens all the time in football because they have so much control of influence because a lot of things are, um, you know, like at a referee's discretion, like playing an advantage, you know. That's like at ref's discretion. Uh, how long is an advantage? How short is an advantage? And it depends on the foul. How much additional time is added? How much isn't? And I think VAR in general, while it can be frustrating when it negatively impacts your team, I think overall is good for the game. I think there's some tweaks to it. Like I know that technically in the rules, offsides is like any part right. of your body. But like if somebody has like a fucking huge head of hair, and like some yeah. hair fibers are like ahead yeah. of the player. And like they're so much. That That's so stupid. They need to change that for sure. That offside rule is just a little bit annoying. Make it so it's one step. If you're one body away from the last two defenders, then you're offside. Yeah. But if it's just one foot then no, that's fine. If those guys can't recover from you being one foot, yeah. then I mean, that that's their problem, you know. I think it should just be all lower body. So like if any part of your lower body is because you got to think if your lower body's <laughs> off, then like hips are off and you're essentially off. But like if you ha they do that with like right. arms and shit, like your arm isn't making a play. It's out of play. You're just like extending your right. arm on a run. 
but like your whole lower body is behind the the last player and they're like nah he's off sides because his arm was forward so and how I'm is like, that beneficial yeah like that's ridiculous yeah i'm like yeah i guess like technically but like it doesn't yeah so there's some things with var that i think could be improved and just overall with the rules but i do think that var is overall good for the game and helps make it so the refs aren't you know making the game about them which happens pretty often i think that's why it took a while for it to be implemented because i was telling my wife about it how this puts a big hole on how they can fix games and stuff but outside of var um on the group chat anna was talking about parking the bus and that's one thing that as a coach i wanted to ask you because she she knows about catenaccio feels like how do you feel about catenaccio and the italian style of play if you have the right players to do it, it's a very boring way to guarantee right. a win. Um, if you don't have the players to do it and you try mm-hmm. to implement it, it's a good way to guarantee yourself a one no right. loss. Um, so like the Italians and the Catanaccio way. So those who don't know Catanaccio, that's like the Italian. I don't even know what that translates to, but basically it's like park the bus. So everybody's going to sit back right. on defense um, and you're going to defend, and then maybe you get like one or two goals. The reason that worked for Italy and Juventus for all these years is because if you look at Italian defenders over the last like 30 years, they have been yeah. all-time greats. You have Maldini, Chiellini, Bonucci, all of, all of uh, Gigi Buffon. Like you have all of these world-class top defenders in the world, so you can just sit on your ass and take shots, and you're going to be fine. That's how you. That's how you play. And, and what that does over the course of the match, it pisses off the other team. They're like, we're getting all these shots and we're not scoring. So then they start coming further and further up, playing a higher and higher line, getting more and more frustrated. Meantime, Italy and Juventus, they're just mm-hmm. sitting there chilling. They're like, yeah, I'm comfortable sitting here defending because I have the best defenders the world has ever seen. I will do that all game. And then while they're getting more and more frustrated and they're attacking more and more, they're playing a higher, higher line. Eventually Juventus is like, or Italy is like, Oh, by the way, we also have Del Piero. So like, we're going to go score now. And then they go score out of a a team that's out of position. So it's very, very good if you have the right players to do it. But the problem is with coaching in general, people always refer back to like, uh, uh, that 2000 was it 2010 2011 mm-hmm. Barcelona and they're like I want to play this style of football or I want to play that style of football I want to mm-hmm. play Catanacho or I want to play like that 2011 Barcelona you have the team, skills or I want to be it like up. yeah and it's like okay well you're not going to play Catanacho the way that Italy plays it because you don't have five of the best defenders mm-hmm. in the world like you're not going to play like Barcelona because you don't have Xavi, Iniesta, and Sergio Busquets in your midfield and Messi up up top. Like, you can't expect players who aren't at that level to play this very specific style of play that was successful only because they were all so incredibly right. talented. So I, I think a lot of coaches struggle with coaching to the players that they have versus the players right. that they want. Um. And back to the Catanaccia, I don't know why uh, Jose Mourinho never went mm-hmm. to Juventus because they were a match made in fucking. Jose loves right. parking the bus, and Juventus had the players to do that. 
So I feel like they would have been a match made in heaven, but Jose never made it over there, unfortunately. There's one example so. that I can think of because I remember I um, – so I was in the Army. It was 2014. It was a Brazil World Cup. And my sergeant major in my battalion at the time, he was a big fan of soccer, right? He uh, That day, he was wearing his USA uh, scarf because we were playing against Portugal. I don't know if you remember that match, right? So we were all, we were all sitting at the, in the talk watching the game, and he – me and him have talked about soccer before. So he looks at me. He's like – like, damn Nunez, look at this shit. Looks like we're gonna beat Portugal. Where's Cristiano Ronaldo now, huh? Because he was, he, <laughs> dude, oh, he was because he was hurt, right? Cristiano Ronaldo was limping a little bit, right? So it's like, look at this. It's two one. Holy shit, we're gonna do this, Nunez. We're gonna move on to play whoever. I forgot what it was. And then I look at him and like, hey, sorry, Major, with all due respect, you know. Cristiano Ronaldo might be injured, but he's like, just because a lion is limping doesn't mean that it can't hurt you anymore, right? And if if I if it was me, honestly, what I would do is I would do the Catenaccia thing. And he kind of looked at me like all weird. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I explained to him, I was like, what the U.S. needs to do right now is every time they get the ball, they need to destroy the play psychologically. To kick it the fuck out, do whatever it is that you can to slow down Portugal because 2-1 is not a... Is not a um, uh, score uh, that, that you should want to feel comfortable about or even go and try to score more because in a counter you can get a tie and it would be really damaging. It's like, no, no, I think we're going to get this. I'm like, okay. So every all the officers in there were like kind of looking at us like, holy fuck, this E4 is telling a command sergeant major what the fuck's going to happen. And sure as shit, I think Ronaldo gets the ball and even though he's injured, I think he sends yep. a cross and then somehow, it was, yeah, it was a long ball, I remember. And then Tim yeah. Howard, I think it was, could, could not stop it and sure as shit, they fucking tie the game. I remember, yep. sorry, Major Glenn, shout out. He fucking stands up, takes his car off, and walks out. And everyone was like, ooh. <laughs> and I'm good. Dude. Fuck. I, 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 That's what you get for being a I fan of the I didn't draw US any thing. happiness from that. But it was one of those moments that I was just like, I, listen, man, I told you. This is how the Italy wins World Cups. This is a World Cup. And this is that MLS shit that we're talking about, you know, like you have to be able to adapt to what you need to do. And I mean, that shit works. I remember I was in um, in South America. There was a Nike competition of futsal, right? And um, we had one player get ejected. And this is 5v5. It's hard ground. And then one of our players gets, gets ejected on, um, on this game that we're playing. And then that means that on the next game, he's not playing, right? And when you're playing 5v5, showing up with four against five in futsal is suicide. So so my team was telling me we should just not show up and forfeit. And I was like, listen, guys, before we consider that, there is one way we can do this. And then the Italian national anthem started playing in the back and everybody was like wondering what the fuck. <laughs> right. But then I, I explained to them, I was like, you guys need to listen to me very carefully. And this we might be able to pull this off. And sure shit. Every time we start the game, I kind of like bunch them up like the Murcielago technique where everyone holds on to the pole to try to make it so they don't score, you know? And uh, sure shit, man. Like, we tried our best. Every time that I got the ball, I told, hey, dude, kick it the fuck out. And they would look at me like, what are you talking about? We need to start playing. I'm like, nope. And sure shit, we make it all the way to the end, 0-0. Zero, zero. We go to penalty kicks. And I wish I was making this up. We all scored. They uh, they scored theirs too, and it came down to the very last penalty kick. I was the goalie, and I catch this shit, and it was like slow-mo, and I wish I was making it up because the next thing that I did to celebrate was super cringe. I <laughs> drop the ball, and then I leave the, the – I start running. I run out completely. I didn't take my shirt off because I was kind of fat, and <laughs> – 
And then I realized, like, no one's celebrating for me. Why did I run out of the the field? Like, it was like a a, a bus full of naked women are gonna like like receive me or something. <laughs> like, it was so uncomfortable for me to just like pull the win of a lifetime and then leave, run out completely. Like, yeah, we fucking did it. My team is still celebrating in there, but I'm outside alone like an idiot. And I'm like, well, this is how I ruined it, the greatest moment of my life. And I just walk out like an idiot, wearing my gloves. And people are like, why are you sweaty? Where, where are you coming from? So then I went back and they looked at me like, damn, dude, you're right. And it's like, yeah, got the natural works. Just don't be an idiot and go out and celebrate on your own like a weirdo. <laughs> Catanache is a beautiful style. That's kind of why I like Italian football in the Serie A. It's very defensive, and I appreciate that, but I know a lot of people don't like – that's kind of why people don't like watching the Serie A over, like, you know, uh, any other league just because it's so defensive and you don't really have – I mean, sometimes you get some high-scoring matches, but for the most part, it's just a very defensive style of play. I appreciate the living fuck out of that, but – I haven't had a club yet where I could implement Catanacha because like I usually play like a mm-hmm. three back because I have three really good defenders. And then I just have like, like this last club, I played a three, five, two. Cause I had incredible. Right. You can have them switch so back like, and forth. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I guess I'm playing a three, five, two today. Um, I would love to come across. Maybe I'll take over a club that has just incredible defenders and I'll just cut an the fuck out of it and just watch Do like a four four two or something like that. So something like that. I don't know. Maybe a four three three. It depends how the rest of my club um, is. But that's you know just speaking of coaching in general in the U.S. and just different styles of coaching. The if you have a little bit, that's why I was telling you um, what when you were thinking of getting into coaching. I'm like, if you have just basic concept of foreign play you will be successful Mm -hmm. here in the u.s because coaches here literally don't know what the fuck they're talking about i played a a, a club and this was a a competitive club he was in a 4-3-3 i don't remember exactly what formation i was running but it wasn't a 4-3-3 he gets livid and starts yelling he's like hey he's in an illegal formation and i'm like this is a legal formation and he's like He's like, you have to play a 4-3-3. And I'm like, no, the fuck I don't. I don't have to do shit. I could go out there and play like a fucking 1-9 if I wanted to. Like, I can go do whatever the fuck I want. I don't have to play a 4-3-3. It it wasn't in the league rules either. That would be strange if the league was like, hey, you're limited to the 4-3-3. And he, he starts losing his mind. And I'm like... Okay, so now I'm just going because I'm an asshole coach. I'm just going to talk shit the entire match about how right. incompetent you are and shit on your entire club. And then I will deliberately, I think we're up like 2 0 at half. I will deliberately go in and I will make further adjustments to counter your 4 3 3. He was playing like a 4 3 3 holding. And I'm like, yeah, well, now I'm going to go and make further adjustments so we can attack you more and score more because I want to right. really prove a point that you are incompetent as fuck. Um, so if you just have like basic concept, like if, if you were like a foreign national, like you're, you're from South America, um, you know, uh, Anna could even right. come over here and be a coach, you bet. um, you know, cause she, under, <laughs> she understands basic football. Like, you'll be like, Oh no, like where I come from, like, I'm not very good. If you come to America, right. you're going to fucking right. dominate. You're going to fucking dominate. If you're 
competent and you're a good teacher. Um, like, like refs too get up my fucking, because the refs don't know what the fuck they're talking about too. I, I had once players get called offsides on a throw in and I'm like, there's no fucking offsides on a throw in. And the refs like, Nope, he's offsides. I know what offsides is. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay. If, if the, ball was kicked to him yeah i get it he was offsides it's a throw-in there's no offsides right. on a throw-in he's like wow. no offsides and i i just lose my mind i get so fucking angry I quote the regulation here. and shit <laughs> it's just so they don't there are some that are very very right. good and i appreciate those people but a lot of refs and coaches in america at every level be it from the sunday summer league to a competitive youth academy for a professional club they don't know what the fuck they're talking about half the time. So I encourage anybody out there who has like the slightest bit of knowledge on how to actually play football. If you're interested in coaching, but you think you won't be good enough or you're not qualified, if you have the slightest bit of knowledge and you're a good communicator and you can teach, you will go and dominate in the United States. You will dominate it doesn't matter if your kids aren't as talented as others i i always say like hey i don't mm-hmm. need the most talented players in the world right. i just need athletes if you give me athletes i can go out there and teach them how to play football they don't need to be five-star skill moves marcelo out there dancing on people like i don't need that give me athletes i will make a simple concept and a simple formation and then i'll see how the other team's playing and i'll just counter it and then they won't know what the fuck to do and it's it, just so simple. I was going to ask you but, from, from a coach's perspective, because uh, I, I kind of like figured out that the reason why, like, for example, Venezuelan, Puerto Rican and Cuban baseball players are so good is because of what I was talking about, how, you know, they grow up in poverty and blah, blah, blah. So in South America, they have this game called Chapita, which means they basically grab a little cap from a Coke bottle, right? Like those caps, the metal caps. And then they use that as a fucking baseball. And then they throw it at each other. And then then with the stick, they try to hit that as if it was a baseball. And that improves their hand and eye coordination from when, from the time that they're six to like whatever, that when you actually give them a baseball, they go, wait, I have to hit that massive piece of shit. And it's like, I I think about it in terms of how to coach goalkeepers because we're goalkeepers, right? Why are we focusing on training with soccer balls, right? Okay. Well, obviously you, that's what you're going to be using in a game, right? But why not using tennis balls? Like I had an Italian goalkeeper train me in South America with tennis balls and he would stand in front of me and then throw a tennis ball super quick. And I had to at least make contact with it to improve that hand and eye coordination, right? And ball control, for example, Instead of using a number five, which to people that don't know, uh, soccer balls are go they go from number one to number five, and number five is the, the the grass ball is really big, and the number one is the futsal ball, which is really hard, barely has any air, it's super solid. Why not practice ball control with a with a harder to control ball, which is super smaller, and then that that level of difficulty will will inherently translate into hey this ball is bigger it's gonna allow me to hit a volley much more accurately because i'm used to playing with a smaller ball it's kind of like um in a you know in firearms teaching and coaching you know aim small miss small and trying to practice little small little things like try to shoot the quarter in the in the cardboard so that way you know you get really good at accuracy and that kind of stuff it's almost like that should be the standard to translate into like a more 
not holistic approach of coaching, but like you're, you're trying to get their performance to be far exceeding what the, what it currently is. Cause right now they're just training with soccer balls and that's their standard. But if they're always training to catch a tennis ball, then by the time they need to catch a soccer ball, it's going to be extremely easy. Right. Kind of like um, NFL running backs when they run in the pool, what do they do that? So that way when they're running outside the, of the pool, they're fast as fuck. So it almost feels like, I don't know if I would love to see one of the Colorado Rapids training like sessions to see, first of all, how long it is. And second, what kind of techniques they use to actually train if, if they just do the standard stuff of, or if they do any outside of the box training to, to kind of like buy some of that time. You know, all those guys that, that were not racing Honduras, they were not racing Colombia because even my wife was freaking out. She was like, why is Barrios? So it's almost like he, he's, he has a different mindset, right? He doesn't give up on balls. He's always figuring out a way to like steal the ball from someone. You know, like it, there's a different level of drive and mentality that it's just like a lot of these players, American players, they kind of have to like make the time, like make that back because they just they not experienced 10 years of solid streets, street soccer like Barrios probably did. And it's like, why not utilizing those unconventional training methods to get their skills level to match that of, you know, foreign players, you know? Can I say something before Mitch says something? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What you said about the tennis balls, that's actually a type of training German coaches do. That is what uh, Chelsea's current coach did. The first thing he did wow. uh, to hell when he came to Chelsea, he replaced their ball with small, tiny balls and made them play that, and that improved them instantly. There that you go. Is, that is a very good call. That is done. That is done quite often by good coaches. So I agree wow. with you. That's on, cool. Go on, Mitch. Say what you say. You know, that's I'm going to compliment the United States soccer thing. And like the one thing that they're good at, the United States is very good at producing goalkeepers because a lot of athletes in the United States are multi-sport mm -hmm. athletes. You know, the rest of the world, you play you play football or right. you play like tennis, right? Tennis is very big in Europe, um, kind of all over the world, actually. Or or some people do like mixed martial arts, too, like down in Brazil and all that. But. Um, for the most part, the world sport is soccer. So mm -hmm. you grow up playing soccer and soccer athletes are very, you know, it's a very um, structured type of athleticism, you know, heavy conditioning, um, maybe some speed, uh, maybe some explosiveness. But th the thing that makes America good with goalkeepers is that the goalkeeper probably plays soccer where he develops a skill and talent as, as a goalkeeper. But basketball, he also probably right. plays basketball or, or volleyball or something else that something else that develops that hand-eye coordination, that jumping ability. You know, so, so Americans are very multi-sport athletes and the rest of the world for the most part isn't. So when it comes to goalkeeper athleticism, we usually have some of the more physically dominant goalkeepers compared to the rest of the world. But the talent and the know-how of positioning right. isn't up to standard. So with the little tennis ball things, that's something I actually mm -hmm. have seen more often being done well in, in, in America. Oh, okay, that's with cool. goalkeepers. Uh, yeah, not all, but a lot of um, a lot of clubs I've come across or trainers that I come across for goalkeepers will use tennis balls, or they'll use um, you know uh, baseballs even, or they'll use. Um, they play ping pong a lot. Uh, they make their guys play ping pong. 
running in a pool is great right. for explosiveness. Uh, jumping in a pool is something I see they make some goalkeepers do. So the goalkeeper training is very, very good compared to the rest of you know player development and structure. But the problem is positioning and supporting cast. You know, in the rest of the world, like goalkeepers are very mm-hmm. vocal. You know, some say that the play starts right. with the goalkeeper. And in some mm-hmm. cases, that's very true. The problem is in America, you know, I'll use Yarbrough as an example, a very talented goalkeeper, very, very strong hands, athletic, but he struggles with his distribution and distribution is a huge part of the difference between a good goalkeeper and a world-class goalkeeper, right? Your, your distribution matters. And he kind of sucks at at distributing the ball. Um, and he gets frustrated with himself. You see during games where sometimes he can't yeah. lift the ball high enough or sometimes he just plays it and, you know, it's not in a good spot for his team to win it. Um, so I think that also contributes to why he does short goal kicks, which just puts his team in a high yeah. press situation in their own end, which just isn't good. So there's certain things that they do very well, um, which is athletic goalkeepers, um, physical goalkeepers. But the rest of the stuff that comes with being a goalkeeper that you don't really think about, distribution, when to come out on your line, when not to, being calm under pressure, coordinating your defense and communicating with them, very, very important. Your angle, your angle of approach, cutting off angles, like things that you don't really think about. It's just like, oh, your job is to dive and stop balls. But you can mitigate somebody's shot by just taking the right angle and they're not going to have a chance. The ball will hit you. Right. So you don't even have to do anything if, if they're coming at the right angle and you know how to come out and stop it. And that's where people are lacking because there's a lack of just overall knowledge and structure that supports that type of deeper right. understanding. And that's and that's at every position um, when it comes to American. The uh, communication American seems to be a big issue because, I mean, just that guy, the other because that's one of the things I'm writing on that report I'm, I'm typing is like. The guy is pointing at him. It's like, dude, I didn't hear you call for it. And it's like, well, you guys should have a system in place where the only person that's allowed to scream mine on the field is the goalie. So that means you duck down and let him do his thing and he catches it. But the fact that he was just like pointing at his ears, like I didn't hear you ask for it. And then he's looking at him like, because I didn't, dude. It's like, well, then that should have been, if you didn't hear it, then you automatically do your best to try to block the view. Like, I mean, this goal, it's so egregious. I'm going to have to show it to you because every single player failed. One ducked down and it was a long pass. Then the other player gave up on the run because he thought that the guy that ducked was going to clear it. And then instead of him being proactive, like a little bit like Neuer, not as crazy like Neuer, being a proactive goalkeeper, leaving your, your box for anybody that doesn't know. But just just to be able to get closer so that way you can close the angle of him being able to get the ball on his foot and clearly get the definition out, no one did anything. It's like they all froze in time and the player was just able to just receive the ball like they were not even there and just clearly put it where he wanted to. And it was just so egregious and they all stood there pointing fingers at each other. And I don't know how the coach can live with himself seeing that his defenders are all just like yapping and screaming at each other in front of their supporter. Um where they all literally in front of the supporter. It's just crazy, man. I couldn't believe it. It's such a lame excuse too, because this isn't like you're playing, you know, like in, um, in the, in the Burna bio, um, it's not, it's loud. not like you're playing, you know, <laughs> it's not loud at all. Right. Like in the MLS, like you have your ultras and some, but like, even then, like 
you know, uh, you didn't really catch me when I was being my hooligan self by myself because I used to get drunk at games and yell at the goalkeeper. <laughs> but like, but I was with you and I was yeah. a bit more tame. But like, they can hear you. Like, and they're on, and you know, you're a good, you know, ten feet yeah. away from the end line as a fan. Right. They can hear you on the pitch. It's right. not that loud. Like that that excuse of oh I didn't hear right. you say mine like right. that's such bullshit that's such a bullshit excuse from a player in the MLS because you are never ever there is no stadium that gets loud enough to justify right. not hearing shit like it, there there's no excuse and you should also have that type of chemistry with your goalkeeper to where you see hey my goalkeeper is here the ball's going to come in this way i trust right. that he's going to get it so i will duck or hey I'm going to play it safe and I'm just going to win it anyway, right. even if he calls it right. Like to not hear that, that's just a bullshit. Who, who said I think that? Was, it was that Nasir or Abubakar? Uh, man, he's been, he's the one that's been pulling a lot of weight for the team because he scored two goals that looked the same. It's just him stretching his foot out. And mind you, how the fuck is this guy scoring goals? He's the like furthest back defender, and somehow he's always finding himself in goal scoring positions. It's crazy. It's awesome. I love but the, the but that's the thing, right? Like um, they all just look at each other, and maybe that's why they stopped doing short goal kicks. Which again, I don't understand how that works. But they look at each other like, "Hey, man!" Like they cover their mouths, like they're a pitcher and a catcher, like talking about what pitches are going to throw. And then they go do a goal kick, which to anybody that doesn't know, a goal kick is a kick that you do from one side of the field and throw the ball, basically kick the ball into the middle of the field. But they're doing it short while the other team is already pressuring them. They're already standing in the big box. And they're talking about it as if this was some sort of like like incredible strategy. And then they go and pass the ball short and then they lose it. And that's the worst place to lose the ball. I'd rather lose the ball all the way on the other side of the field because you couldn't control it. And those are the kind of like fundamental errors that maybe they heard me because I was talking shit and filming the entire time. I was like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing short goal kicks? And then as soon as I'm filming the video for you and I'm like, oh, Mitch is going to have an aneurysm when he sees this. Then they decide, to say, no, no, let's do a long goal kick this time. And I'm like, dude, finally. What the fuck? They... It, like I said, there's a lack of structure and there's a lack of just basic common sense and knowledge that goes out the window when you join an MLS club. Like people can watch the MLS and think it's entertaining. Like I have no problem with that. I wish I was kind of like that and I'm not being like, oh, you know, I'm so much better than everybody else. I don't like them. That's not it at all. My problem is I understand what right. good football looks like and the you MLS to is be not better. good football. So like – and yeah, I, I, I would right. love for it to be better. I would love for it. And the problem is I punish myself by getting season tickets and going to all these matches. And I just right. get fucking frustrated because I'm like, how is this basic thing that like is taught when you're like six yeah. or eight years Clearing old? Clearing to the sides. Not something simple it's as that so clearing to the sides when there's an air ball that's going into the big box it's the first thing you learn as an italian baby you go elbows out and then you you try to header and just try to do anything to not get the ball in the middle so a rebound can get to an attacker and just score outside the box and it's still happening it's just the simple things that really fucking frustrate me because I'm like, this, it could be a good domestic league. It really could, because we have talent yeah. coming up from Mexico. You know, there is some 
good domestic talent. We have talent coming down from Canada. We have people coming from all over South America to come and play. And the talent is there, but the structure and the communication and the knowledge and common sense right. just isn't. It, it, and it makes it so it's like the most physically dominant players that don't need any skill or talent win. Like Sebastian Giovinco, you want to know why he did good in the MLS? Mm-hmm. He's insanely fast. You want to know why that didn't work in Italy? It doesn't matter if you're insanely fast. If you're not skilled or talented, right. you'll just get fucking bodied. Right. But Sebastian Giovinco went where he wasn't successful. He wasn't playing. And it's not because he went and got much better. He was still the same talent level. It was just he went to a league that didn't know what to do with somebody that fast. They just didn't understand that, like, hey, you just body the ball and you prevent him from Mm -hmm. making runs in behind. Like, or you drop back. So you have a couple steps on him when he goes to make his run and then you just beat him to the ball. Like they don't understand these simple little adjustments to make. And it made him an absolute menace in the MLS because he had a little bit of Italian talent and he was insanely fast that people just couldn't figure out how to deal with him. And that's all over the end. Like Christian Fuchs, mm-hmm. we watched him the other day. I'm a big, I'm a big Fuchs fan outside back, now? captain of Is Austria for States? years. He plays in the MLS for Charlotte. Um, You know, won the Premier League with Leicester City. Like, very talented player. Like, talent-wise, miles ahead. But he's old now. He's not as physical. But he comes to the MLS. We were watching him. I think that was our last matchup we watched together, Jorge. And, like, he is pinging beautiful long balls. And he's getting frustrated because these people aren't finishing their runs. If they would just finish their run – they would get to the ball and be in on, on goal every time. And this dude, an incredible talent, even in his old age, the talent's still there. The right. knowledge is still there. Controlling the game is still there for him. But the knowledge and structure to be like, hey, complete when Christian Fuchs plays you a ball, complete your fucking run because it'll look like it's going to be out of your reach because of the right. velocity that it has. But he puts spin on it so it, it comes away. back to you. Complete right. your fucking run it's, and you will be in on goal. See what happens at least. And yeah. yeah, and he doesn't have crackhead Jamie Vardy sprinting across the field for him anymore. He has shithead MLS player who doesn't know how to complete right. his run and score a goal. So, like, you see these players from other leagues coming who are incredibly talented, and they're doing everything the right way, and they just get fucking angry because they're like, hey, like, this is right. basic stuff. I play a ball. You should see the spin on it, and you should know I'm competent enough to play a ball with backspin with the right. same velocity to where you will win it right. if you complete your fucking run. But they're like, oh, it's going to be too far. I'm not going to do it. And then they lose right. the ball. They, and like, do our players stupid. even know what backspin is? How do we even generate it? You know, that's a, those are the things that I wonder about. It's like, well, do they even drill, you know, kicking a ball from with the outside of your foot? You know, the what's the, the, the knuckleball that Ronaldo does? Like, hey, do you ever spend some time studying how a fucking knuckleball works? You know, not because you want to imitate Ronaldo, but just to have that little tool in the tool belt. Man. It's very frustrating. And the MLS drives me up the fucking wall. But in a less frustrating topic, we should talk about Chelsea because um, I know that's Anna's favorite team. Which one, sorry? Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) What do you, what do you, have you gone, um, do you watch uh, Luton Town? Oh no, no, I don't. No? I don't watch them. I just hear the fans every so often <laughs> under my window. But um, um, as far as I've seen 
from their some of their performances like i don't like regularly watch them i've seen some of the games online obviously but uh they fall through they lack consistency in game and it's like like they do something but like majority of their games end in draws or in losses so what does that tell you as they i don't know this year they were closer to actually to getting promoted which fucking blew my mind but obviously they didn't make it i think watford got promoted again or not I, I, i'll lie to you i'm not too sure who needed to get promoted uh this year but uh no i, I can't really i can't really say much about luton town when it when it comes to belgium how is because you played you played football growing up i remember and you did swimming right me belgium not belgium i'm sorry bulgaria <laughs> Uh, I only play football with my friends, like ever so often, not professionally. But I've had uh, I had friends that uh, did uh, professional youth football for one of our bigger teams, like for their academy. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. But most of my sporting is just uh, mainly swimming. So the thing with Bulgaria that I've always kind of appreciated is every couple years they will create like a generational talent that like goes on and does really really well outside of bulgaria do you think you're gonna have enough because bulgaria right now is going through a slump where they don't have any players their national team isn't relevant do you think they're gonna build up their national team again and get like a player or two like a guy that can actually you know make an impact and get on a run right uh the situation with our football lies way deeper than not having talented talented players we have a lot of talented young players that don't get the opportunity, and I'll tell you why. 100% the reason for Bulgarian football to flop since years ago has been corruption. Mm. It always has been corruption, always will be corruption. It's all black gamble mm. It's what it is. Majority of the matches are prepaid by rich people for wins, for losses. They they make a shit ton of money laundering through that. It's, it's ridiculously bad. That has been one of the main reasons. So... The president of our federation, Football Federation, he recently um, resigned. He's been there for a long time. He's been a fucking shithead. He's ruined so many fucking things uh, in Bulgarian football. And uh, you have Berbatov. Everyone knows Berbatov. Fucking fantastic, brilliant player. It's a shame he retired so early on. Now he just does Bulgarian TV. Whatever he wants to do is it's good for him. But he wanted to he he ran for president right for the association he would have done incredible change right he would have sorry he, he absolutely would have Berbatov was but the thing is the old president came the fuck back and he's like you know what i want to be president again i'm not resigning and you know what fuck you Berbatov. who the fuck are you you're a nobody you know you're not gonna do this everybody fucking voted for him nope he he kicked him out and they fucking went back to the same atrocious, atrocious crap. The thing with uh, player recruiting and scouting and everything like that, we have fantastic, brilliant young boys that play just so good. So good. They're very good for young, since young age. That was the case with my friend in high school. He was, the, he was that young, talented boy. He was playing for Black Sea. That's what translates that one of our teams. Black Sea, that's our, uh, one of our huge local teams. Um, and, uh, he was playing for their academy. He was, I'm, I'm not too sure what position he was in. I don't quite remember anymore, but, um, he was devastated because he started getting benched over and over and over because one of 
the bigger, you know, I'm not sure if it was a political figure or just a fucking really rich businessman guy's son got into the team because he just wanted to be on a football team. Not that he was talented, not that he could play. So my friend started getting benched over and over and over again. The coaches started mistreating him so much to a point in which he quit. He quit because he ha- uh, he was constantly replaced by that fucking rich shit. And that's what happens in 90% of the time. The other big reason why uh, in uh, football facilities, lack of facilities. Uh, also, that's, that's the case for Bulgarian sports in general. We have some of the best athletic genetics in Europe. Undoubtedly, when you look back into the history of the Olympics, gymnastics, swimming, boxing, shooting, one of the best sharp shooters is a fucking woman from Bulgaria. She had a world record jumping like those, like the fucking, like high jump, like over those sticks that they do. I'm not too sure what they're called, but like that's world record held by a Bulgarian woman. If you look back into history, our nation is incredibly athletic. We had one of the best football teams in the world. We, we fucking beat Germany in, in their primes, 1994 World Cup in the Oof, States. That World Cup. Like, we have it. <laughs> yes. Right now, right now, Stuichkov was then. Stuichkov won a fucking Ballon d'Or. Who, how many people can say they won a fucking right. Ballon d'Or, right? Well, now it doesn't matter as much as it did before. Before it used to, you know, matter as a prize. But then you have, uh, it's mainly because of corruption and because of lack of facilities due to that corruption. Our, uh, our athletes in any category, not just football, they're fucked because of that. Corruption is the main reason that we flopped. We still managed to get, like, I think, four gold medals, this these Olympics, these past Olympics, still right. something, right? Um, but again, obviously, Olympics aren't as important now as they used to be back then. They aren't as competitive. But still, like, along the years with athletes, you see that a lot with our nation. And that happens in a lot of other countries. It's not just ours. Uh, it's it's um, a big part of the reason why a lot of good athletes flop is that. And I can guarantee you, if we had the financing, if we had the proper scouting, I can tell you that uh, a lot of Bulgarian players would have made it in Premier League, would have made it in a lot of other leagues. There's still some good players that people talk to me about, like younger players that are here and there in Germany, in God knows when. I can't name them for you. I, I literally cannot name them for you. I, I don't know who they are. Like I was told, like I think we have a goalkeeper and whatnot. Uh, occasionally we do this, like you know, crazy thing. Like uh, um, there was uh, something. Tottenham played a Bulgarian team. We were two nil up at one point, like the first the first half, and then the second half. Obviously, they obliterated us. But, uh, you know, they still they still have that drive. We still have players that have that drive. But majority of the players on national teams, on the national team specifically, they're, they're just people that are there for, you know, the money, for the fame back home. That's literally what it is for. Like our, our goalkeeper, if you see him, he fucking has a beer wow. belly, for God's sakes. He's a, he's a fucking loser and he's constantly in some... Uh, controversies with his fucking girlfriend that's some fucking miss playmate whatever they're constantly in some fucking drama it's like fucking icardi and his fucking stupid ugly cheating wife that's 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 literally all it is and you know i fucking love football what i hate that comes with football is the drama that comes with it that's super unnecessary uh it's funny there is no fucking boring day in the football community undoubtedly right but at the same time is something I don't fucking want to know. It's none of my fucking business. We just want to know 
how you play and what you do. And it's important. You know why it's important? Because this drama comes into the football politics and it kind of ruins the game. It ruins everything that comes with it. You have fucking social justice politics that are coming in and making dramas. You have fucking... uh, personal drama making players quit ruining teams it's 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 stupid i think that these types of things should stay the fuck away from sports specifically you know with the whole uh you know black lives matter thing and everything that with the kneeling and all that crap and the uh fucking now the lgbt stuff is is like you can see players are frustrated aside from you know the the occasional you know people like hendo and uh, the other few that are from the national England team, they they kind of push through that a lot. But like a lot of these campaigns and stuff, they're also running football down a lot. Like these things should stay out of the sport. And whatsoever. talking about like That's controversies not- and stuff, I don't know if it, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I don't know if you guys have noticed the, those cardiac arrests uh, that have been happening. Yeah. I'm not going to, don't want to talk about it, but it's kind of interesting because I, I saw the other day, uh, one of the Austin players was laying flat on the ground for about five minutes, dude. And you know what? Immediately I was thinking, I was like, holy shit, you know, that poor kid probably had a, a heart attack or something. And it, it it's another parallel between overseas football and MLS. It's like when you see a player that's not rolling on the ground complaining about pain, but he's just laying flat on the ground. Normally, players in the field start to cry and pray. That, that's something that even myself, I don't give a fuck about Austin FC, but I'm looking at everyone. They're all getting ready to, to like play a corner kick while that player on the other side of the field is laying flat on the ground and his uh, medical team is like huddled around him and everyone is just waiting for the corner kick. And I'm like, dude, that dude probably that's just true. had a heart attack. What the fuck are you guys doing? Do you remember the yeah. Erickson case the other last year? I fucking cried. I like my chest was like in a bowl. It was so stressful. I was like in a group chat over Discord, and we were all like sitting there, and we were like, "What the fuck?" No, it's fucking stressful. Same goes, you know, for Aguero and whatnot. Aguero is one of my favorite players, but with him, he's had heart issues since seventeen years old. So with him of understandable but you have like ericsson you have a shit ton of young players that have been it's, it's not normal for a young person to have a, a you know a cardiac disturbance yeah. of any sort unless they have like pre-existing issues so that that is crazy i agree with you it's it might be controversial but yeah. it is the truth Dude, it was it appalling to see that it's guy a- laying flat on the ground and none of his teammates gave a fuck it was like they stood him up. That's it kind of reminded crazy. me of uh, I don't know if you saw Antonio Puerta, the the Spanish guy that uh, fell down, had a heart attack, but then they were able to get him to stand up, and then he collapsed again when he was in the dressing room, and then he died shortly after. Bro, that's every time I see that video, it just kills me because like you know the players always try to open the mouth and get the tongue out. That's the thing that they always try to clear the airway. And, dude, it just broke my heart. And then none of the Austin or Colorado gave a fuck about this dude laying flat on the ground not trying to sell a foul no nothing it was like dude that guy's probably dying right now what's happening five minutes it was appalling yeah it's it's the and the difference between that and back to ericsson both teams stopped i think it was against finland wasn't it they 
they wanted to stop playing. They didn't want to play. Yeah. Both teams refused to play. And FIFA was like, no, you guys are going to fucking play. You're going to, uh, otherwise you're going to get yeah. disqualified, you know? And obviously Denmark lost that game furthermore after they continued. But how the fuck do you continue to play? Yeah. That's crazy. The guy was dead there yeah. for a they few minutes. They were doing minutes. CPR on it him. Was it was so tough. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and you see the difference. Like, both teams, they fucking refuse to play. They're like, this is stressing the fuck out of us. You had the interviews afterwards. You had the interviews. Uh, I watched, uh, you probably watched the Italy documentary for the mm. for the Euros. I watched, uh, I rewatched it recently. And you see the players, they were watching it on their phones. And everyone was like, yeah. some of them were crying. Some were praying. They're looking at their phones from their, like, training base. And this, this is, like, crazy. I don't understand how you wouldn't be able to react to that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's, that's another stupid. parallel that you can kind of tell how like this sport just means so much to us the uh, and, and i mean obviously you as well because i count you in it mitch because you were in italy and you actually got you you know everything about it so i count you also as as a foreigner when it comes to like that passion for for football right and you can kind of see the difference in in how something like this is treated where that's when i looked at it and i was like man this feels like a nine to five job like these dudes are just showing up to collect the paycheck like how do you have a team member laying down there for five minutes and you don't go up there and like like in the euros they were just like standing around him so that way the cameras could not zoom in on the guy having a heart attack right so little beautiful things like that like the team in Spain, the next team that played against that team where Antonio Puerta died, they came with a, a, a thing of flowers and laid it down on the place where he collapsed on the very next game as a sign of respect. And it's like, dude, it, it's something more than just a sport. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. I agree. I agree. The passion is it's it's incredibly strong you know we have the shithousery and everything all the insults and whatnot the trolling sure but then on the other hand you have people that are so extremely yeah. compassionate like uh it's a heavy topic but recently you know ronaldo lost oh. his child uh his young his young son yeah. i believe Christiano? and uh, they there was yes Christiano. there was a there was a manchester united game afterwards against another team both fans on the I think it was the seventh minute of game, everyone stopped and they raised like number seven t-shirts wow. and posters and everything in Ronaldo. It was like it shows you, it shows you that it's like it's passion. It right. brings people together. It, I know a lot of people are like, oh, football is boring, football is shit. How can you watch it? It's about the community. It's yeah. not just the game. It's the community. It's what brings us together. It's it's way more than just you know, you know, being at home shouting at a fucking TV or being at a game and, you know, making noise. It's, it's so much more than that. We we love these players. We love these players because we've, we've been watching them since we were kids. They're like, we grew up with them. They're like, feel like Seriously. our relatives. It's it's way more than that. Yeah, it's way well, more than that. I understand 100%. There's, it's, it's, it's a huge passion. That's, that's one of the things that I love so much about South America is the huge passion that it has. And that's the, it's the basis of their life. It's the same as boxing. It's not just football. Boxing mm. over there is quite big. Uh, in Mexico specifically, this is one of the means of living of people over there. This is how they make it. They either go into drugs and crime or go into being yeah. an athlete. That's the, that's their means of living. So the passion, you know, extends way more. Uh, if you know, and you have so many incredible stories as well. You know, uh, Luis Suarez, also one of my favorite players, regardless of him being, you know, a Barcelona legend. I fucking love that guy. And his story is incredible. Um, about how he started he was an alcoholic at, at wow. the age 12 
right? He suffered from alcohol, alcoholism and uh, he was no even he was like he was very good when he was a kid. When, as Mitch says, if you're like really good when you're little, you know, it shows. And uh, he when he met uh, his girlfriend, his current wife, they were quite young when they met. They met there in uh, uh, where was he from? Uruguay. Uh, help me out. Yeah. Yes. Uruguay. Uruguay. Yeah. Uh, that's they met and she was from like a rich family. But, you know, he, you know, he got like the the motivation he stopped drinking he started showing up to practice and because of that he got scouted he got scouted eventually she had to leave she went overseas she went to live in uh i believe in barcelona yes and then that is when he started you know going downwards again and when he got scouted after she left he went into i believe he went into ajax at the time i'm not too too sure um yeah he uh, went to ajax and he played with ibrahimovic that's why yes so he went to England and they reunited at the time. And afterwards, when he moved into Barcelona to play for Barcelona, they, you know, they got married, they got a home and everything like that. But it's like, it shows you, it's like, it, it can give you so much opportunity. And it's like, you have these incredible, crazy stories, like with every individual player that, you know, from the older generation as well, you have these like crazy, insane stories. So I personally think it's it's more than just the sport. It's more than just the game. It has a lot to it than that. The the beautiful thing that I appreciate um, when it comes to world football is the communication aspect. You can take somebody from bumfuck Nigeria, <laughs> and you can take somebody from like the slums in like Sicily, or take somebody from you know a, a Baltic state country, right? And you can put them all on the pitch together. And if they all, you know, have that understanding of, of, of playing, they can communicate and they can do beautiful stuff on the pitch together without ever right. speaking a word. Yeah. Um, the, the communication through football is something that yeah, I, I love to see it. Uh, you know, it's something everybody has a good understanding of when you're all on the pitch together. And the community that it brings, like you said, you know, seeing a player go down, even if it's for like a different a different club. You right. hate to see it. And one of the problems that I fear with world football is that it's becoming, and like you mentioned with like all the politics getting into it, it's becoming more of a game of business over a game right. of passion. And the game of passion is something that is, that's what makes the game what it is. Like I love, you know, I'm not a, I wasn't a Watford fan or I wasn't like any, you know, like any particular fan of either of these teams. But when I see Troy Deeney scoring a last minute goal and celebrating, ripping his shirt off and everybody's going fucking crazy, like that gets me so hyped. I'm like, this yeah. is incredible. Likewise, same. Me yeah, too. I see Aguero. Aguero! <laughs> like I see that and I'm like hyped. I'm like, I'm not even a fan of this. Sh- like, club, but like right. it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and the passion and seeing how much it means to these players and to these fans, you know, like when um, the FC, I'm going to, I fuck up their name all the time. They're a German club. It's like FC Colm. When they, when they were playing um, in the Champions League and they went to London and there were like 40,000 of these Germans that traveled all the way to London for this match. And they're banging their drum, marching through the streets, like supporting their club. It's because of how much it means to them. And, and I don't think people will ever understand kind of in America because we don't really have that culture. If you have like a, a club from your town or your city and they do well, 
your entire city right. is now doing well. Yeah. Like, it's not like, you know, let's say the New York Giants win the Super Bowl. You know, I was a kid. I grew up in New York. The Giants won. And, like, some people really cared, but it didn't change, like, how anything operated in the right. state or the city. You know, there was a parade. Everybody's happy. But, like, you go to some, some of these, like, South American clubs and, you know, maybe one player who they've been watching at this really small club in this really small league signs a multi-million dollar year with, like, Barcelona. Like, they are hyped for that kid. They that that town or that city is forever a fan of of, yeah. of that player, no matter where he goes. Forever a fan, and then you know they like like Carlos Tevez went back to Argentina, mm-hmm. brought a ton of money, a yeah. ton of fans, built up the area. Like what football means to individuals is it, like what what Mane does for his hometown in Africa. Like it changes lives. It influences cities it changes and and, you know like like Mane doing what he's doing in Africa there's now kids from his hometown that are going to get opportunities that they never would have had had Mane not been as successful as he was and you know uh, like Mane listens he's like you know my hometown doesn't want me to be at Liverpool anymore so I'm going to leave Liverpool because why would I not listen to the people that have supported me since I was like six years old who go out of their way? We're all dirt poor, but they see that I can get out of this town and make something of myself without asking for anything in return, go out of their way to make sure that I have boots, to make sure that I can get an actual ball instead of kicking around like right. some rocks. Like it's it's a community thing and it's so beautiful to see. And, you know, uh, the corporation side and the business side of football like uh, I hate seeing it happen to Juventus, our club. Like they even stated they came out and they're like, "We want to become a global yeah, like business." A brand. And I'm like, "You're an Italian club. I don't care about the world image right. of your club. I get that's what brings in dollars, but that's gonna destroy the passion. Like like the stadium in Juve." hasn't been full like they struggle selling tickets because the passion mm-hmm. is leaving because they're not focusing on the passion of like turin they're focusing on their world right. image so like they can't even sell out juventus one of the biggest clubs in the fucking world talent wise for years can't fill their stadium because they're focusing on brand image outside of the country and that you know like i get that's important but when that is the main focus as opposed to winning titles supporting your city like it's a sad thing to see and i think that's happening at a lot of clubs Um, but that's why i enjoy watching like championship football in england and why i like millwall because like millwall they're not going to see a champions league unless i go to (laughs) coach um they're you know but the fans love them and go to all of their games they fill away team sections you know, like like you see at Rapid Stadium, they have a very small sliver of like 40, right. 50 seats. And sometimes it gets filled. Sometimes there's like three people from like the supporting club. Like those lower division clubs, they will fill. They will travel hours. They will travel countries to go fill that portion of the stadium that's designated for them to show support for their club. They don't care how yeah. much it costs. They don't care how much they make. They don't care any – they care about supporting their yeah. club. And, you know, like Bayern, I think, does an excellent job of this where they're like, we're not going to raise season ticket prices just because, you know, we sell out of them. We're going to keep them affordable so people that are passionate can go. Um, You know, know, uh, 
when it comes down to you mentioning German football, I watch way more German football now than I've watched Spanish one. And I got to say, a lot of the teams, even in, in Bundesliga, like the first league, they are owned by the fans. They're not owned right. by corporations. And when uh, Red Bull bought uh, Leipzig and uh, Stuttgart, there was like a big controversy. Everyone was like, fuck this. This is a big corporation buying this. It's not fair. It's going to bring in a lot of money. And it's true because Leipzig and Stuttgart have they play fantastic football. You got to give it to them. You've watched them. We've watched matches together. You know what it is like. And uh, with uh, that's what I love with Germany is that a lot of it is very community-based. Everything is just so community-based. And it, it, it just, again, it, it sparks that passion. And uh, they still are very, very financially well-off teams because exactly because of that thinking um you have uh dortmund who i like from uh bundesliga they have bought very good players along the years and they've managed to you know consistently keep them but then you have the a bit of the controversy with bayern munich obviously taking everyone's players everyone's fucking coaches referees whatever you can think of bayern munich have taken them like with the Lewandowski getting separated from royce that was a bit of a heartbreak to be honest with you but you know still it's still very very uh it's very good on that end yeah the passion and in those countries. And that's why I like German football um, overall. I mean, one, they're extremely technical, but like you were saying, the clubs are mostly owned by the fans and they don't struggle financially. One, because they make good business decisions. And two, the local community supports them so much that like, you'll, you'll see like 85 year olds who have been going like season ticket holders forever. They get taken care of by mm-hmm. the club. Like if they pass away, sadly, they won't sell. They could make money off of that season ticket. They'll put a statue of that That's fucking beautiful. person yeah, in, right. in that seat. And they're like, this is forever their season ticket. Like we just won't make money off of it. We will pay the money to build a fucking statue and put That's them in amazing. the seat. Like the community is more important than making money. And in turn, it makes it so the community loves them and right. supports them. Um, and, you know – you see money becoming a problem and business becoming a problem in the NFL. Like the Super Bowl, I'm a big NFL guy. I would love to go to a Super Bowl, but they charge so much for tickets and they make it so exclusive to like rich people to just go as like a thing, you know, like, oh, like I don't really watch the NFL too much, but I'll go to the Super Bowl because it's this whole big event. And like you just see people that aren't fans, but are like, oh, I'll go watch football, you know, like American football. In Europe, you don't see that with fucking clubs. You you see Ed Sheeran. That's what I love about, you know, like the European mindset. You have Ed Sheeran. He's sponsoring his local town, like small town. But like he's like, yeah, I care about this fucking club. He's not out there trying to get with like Manchester United, like a big club. He remembers where he came from. He's like, I'm going to sponsor this small town club. And I'm going to try and make a difference at this small town club that I grew up with because I love them. And that type of passion, like everybody wants to see football succeed in their town, succeed because when, like I said, when the club succeeds, when a player succeeds, and even when when a team fails, you know, it's funny because Anna mentioned the World Cup in 94. And that's funny because that's one of my earliest memories as a human being is literally I was four years old and my aunt 
bought me a fucking Italian flag and I watched live Roberto Baggio missing the last penalty kick to give the World Cup to Brazil. And even though that happened, that didn't make me a Brazil fan, which a lot of Venezuelans tend to be like like Brazil fans because they obviously Venezuela does not have a good soccer team. But that that was a day that I was born as a Tifosi in in a way. Like even though we lost, I understood that this is my team and this is this hurts. But one day it's not going to hurt. And sure shit, you know, 2006 is probably the happiest day of my life. And uh, it's kind of amazing how a sport can be so impactful in a way that like my earliest memory is probably the saddest moment for Roberto Baggio and a lot of Italians in, in life. Because, man, that would have been a beautiful we would we would have what, six World Cups by now. Yeah, because we have five. I think we have five, five now. Six. Yeah, it would have been five or six, but that's that's part of the game. That's awesome. It's a very passionate, and it's more it's more than just what happens on the pitch. You care about the right. players off the pitch, and it's unfortunate, like Anna was saying, where you see like all these controversies coming up that just people in football don't give a shit about. Like you don't want to, like I don't give a shit if somebody posted some tweet. Right. Like I don't care. Like that doesn't affect anything about the game. But it's everybody outside of football that are looking in on it and like criticizing and wanting to put in their ideas. And there's this really bad trend that happens. It, it, it's happening in the NFL. Now I watch some people that are very well connected with the NFL talk about it and it's starting slowly, very slowly. And I hope they put an end to it to um, kind of invade world football in the NFL general managers, the people that make like the decisions, the equivalent of like the director of football for mm -hmm. like a, a club, they're not being hired because of their knowledge mm. of the game. They're being hired because of their like fiscal responsibility and their um, and their mm. business relationships. So you're getting people who have no real knowledge about football. Like that's kind of like seen as a bonus as opposed to you're going to be a general manager of an NFL team. Like you need right. to know football. It's more seen now as like a bonus, and you see that happening at some of the really big clubs, like. Um, you know, like Juventus, which is so sad to see because I'm a big Juventus fan, where they just are bringing in people who it's a bonus if they know mm -hmm. world football, as opposed to they should that should be the most important right. thing. They know world football as opposed to the most important thing being finances or business. It's, it's incredibly sad to see. And I hope that doesn't continue to spread because it would destroy one of the best things about right. world football. Um, I have a question for you guys. Yes. Right. Uh, circling back to, you know, Italy and penalties. Like today, obviously, as we know, great day. Been, great, great day. Great day. History. My favorite day yep. is an anniversary of Italy beating England. Uh, fuck England. Fuck <laughs> England in July after July for, uh, after July fourth. We get to say fuck <laughs> England again yes. because they lost in penalties in, in England. England. <laughs> Italy to a club to a fucking team that didn't qualify for the World Cup, yes. like incredible, incredible. <laughs> Fuck yeah. England. Listen, Anyways, you have right. no idea. You have no idea what fucking state of mind I was on this day 
I turned off the game when the penalties were on. Okay, I turned off the game. You know, one of the managers was like with his back towards the game. He wasn't watching the penalties either. I was just looking at the, the live chat of my friends. I was like, I'm not fucking watching this. I'm going to have a heart attack. Like I was feeling my heart's going to fucking burst. You know, and when they won, it was like this is so fucking liberating. No one can ever understand how good of a feeling that is when it's like, it's because oh. I was risking of their fucking horrible parades for years. The last time they won an international thing was like in the 60s and they still won fucking shut up about it. Imagine if they <laughs> won the Euros. I would have had to fucking immigrate. Oh my God. So, <laughs> they're so fucking awful. Right. But um, my uh, my question is like not related to, you know, if you're happy or not. We're all happy when England, you know, hates everything and <laughs> they're angry. So, right. Aside from that, when it comes down to the penalties, right? What do you guys think? about, um, you know, Southgate putting the young players at such responsibility, uh, like realistically without us obviously hating on how much they suck and everything else. I personally think there's a lot of pressure, a lot of mental pressure when it comes down to penalties, regardless of how good you are taking penalties. I think a lot of players still have, get like cold feet and everything else. Like I think that it's it's a lot to do with the mental pressure rather than so much of how good you are at taking penalties. Aside from Southgate putting people that can't kick penalties, you know, as, you know, penalty takers in this case. But aside from that, what do you guys think about it? From a coach's perspective, when I saw that happening, I was like, this guy is a fucking retard. He is. Not just because of, you know, the player's lack of experience. There comes a time where you as a coach have to look outside of what is just happening in that game. You have to look at the big picture. And um, Saka, the player he put on, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Yes, Saka. Saka. That's the, correct. The, the name, uh, the guy who he put on the penalty is is uh, is black. And he was facing a ton of racism in the league. Like it was very well known. A ton of you know racist comments from fans, racist chants. They would make fucking monkey sounds at him. Like very disgusting racist stuff and he's a kid he was like what 17 17 i think 17 so he he's trying to overcome that on top of that as a coach you have to recognize these outside things unfortunately you shouldn't have to but you have to factor in one this guy's a kid he's 17 two he's already facing a very hostile crowd in england where he's trying to play and overcoming that if I even if even if he comes up to you and says, "Hey, I'm super confident. I'm going to take this penalty and we're going to win," you as a coach have to say no. You have to say no. It does and unless this guy is the star of your team, the 17-year-old is Cristiano Ronaldo in his fucking prime. You have to look at this kid and say no. One, you're an experience, and it's not just because you're black and facing racism, that's why, but that is a contributing factor. Because if that kid misses in the most important game in England in like fucking 70 years, if that kid misses the penalty, his career could potentially be over because that racism is now going to be justified in mm -hmm. these people's eyes. His confidence is going to be in the fucking toilet. It doesn't matter how, how yeah. confident he is. He plays yeah. in England. He just, he can't go to a different country and go back to his domestic league. His domestic league is in England where these fans are fans of England. They're going to hate him. 
They're not going to want to see him on the pitch, no matter how good he does for his club. And it could ruin this kid's potential to go and make a difference in his life and his potential as a career as a player. So you as a coach have to look at soccer and be like, hey, you're not doing it. I'm sorry. And it's not just because you're black and facing racism. It's because you're inexperienced. And even if you were a fucking white player and this happens, your confidence is going to be in the shit. And these hostile fans, when mm-hmm. you go back to your club, I mean, Carrius is a good example of that, can, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, well, Liverpool fans as a general are fucking atrocious people. I'll be honest with you. Towards yes. their players, like aside from, as I'm saying, the shithousery, they're fucking atrocious people towards their players. They abuse the crap out of them for nothing. Like, uh, remember when Adrian uh, joined and when he was like, just starting off with the team and he's making mistakes like okay sure fine you know it's not great but everyone's doing like death threats and god fucking knows what these fucking horrible things like you know we're gonna rape your wife we're gonna kill your kids like what the fuck is actually yeah. wrong with you and uh they've, they've all they're they're like notorious for being vile it, it happened with uh with our, our boss when we were playing uh liverpool away uh, for champions league two years ago they were uh, throwing rocks at our buzz, at the players, at whatnot. That, like, they're just notoriously right. fucking horrible people. Yep. And uh, it's like, it's a lot of fan bases are like that, but theirs specifically is notorious. And yep. I, I, I don't think it's it's right for fans to abuse the players in that way. These are the people that make your game. What the yep. fuck are you doing? You know, it's and, horrible. Yep, and to add to that, like you said, like, there are certain and, – and, and as a coach, you shouldn't have to make these decisions. I agree. Like I'm not saying that this is the right thing to do, but given the circumstances, you have to look at the whole picture. You have to look out for these kids. You have to look out for the players. Look at who didn't take a penalty, mm-hmm. who could have, and they could have skied it. They could have put it 40 yards wide, and it's not going to affect their career. It yeah. might have them down, but they're mature enough to understand, hey – shit happens i fucked up the fans will look at them and be like hey you fucked up it's okay we still love you but when you have a kid who's already facing adversity because he's black when you already have a kid who's facing adversity because he's a kid he has potential and people expect you to be a world-class player right away just because you're very talented now you have to look at that player and say hey this is for your own personal good i can't have you take it when i have these other players who are experienced, who are in a good position already, who can afford to miss and face the adversity and come out of it on the other side. Now, luckily, what ended up happening, that kid missed. There was some nasty, vile shit going on about him, but the club recognized that this would happen and they did everything they could to show support for the kid and be like, hey, look, and 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 they handled it it was arsenal they handled it the right way yeah um and he is now getting you know rounds of applauses because they understand like hey you fucked up you shouldn't have been in that position it was an awful coaching move yeah but gareth southgate he's a fucking clown to put that kid in that spot me as a coach i look at that and i'm like you like and and his reasoning was well the kid came up to me and told me that he wanted to take it wow you're the fucking coach you're the coach. You have to look at that kid, like I said, and be like, hey, man, bigger picture here, looking out for the long-term effect right. of your career. You're not doing this today. We have other players who are more experienced, who are going to be able to do this, and if they fuck up, they can face the adversity, and it's not going to really affect their career. But you, if you miss and you fuck it up, and it, like it's just so bad, and I feel so bad for that kid, but I'm very happy that um, you know the club – 
recognized it and they did everything to rectify it and he's still yeah. getting you know playing time and he's still doing everything the right way no but oh, he's man. he's not bad when you think about it it's no, it's mind-blowing to me when it comes down to god damn it they're 17 and they're playing it's like jude bellingham and all these other youngsters like jamal musiala from fucking uh byron these are kids they're kids they're teenagers and they're playing at Children. such insane yeah. high level yeah. they are scoring in a champions league game this is huge people don't understand that like the, the pressure and the expectation is insane and, it's and crazy it, it's not fair uh, yeah, think about it. Where where were you when you were 16, 17? Were you playing at a fucking world-class level? Obviously, you fucking weren't. You were fucking picking your nose and smoking cigarettes behind school, nothing else. You, you, have, you have to, have to, have to look out for that player's well-being in their career in that situation. 100%. Um, I got to get going, though. Um, my time's coming to an end. I don't know. I don't want to cut the conversation short, but I do Hell have man. to get going. Um, That's totally is, fine. Yeah. Um, Good times. Good times. Yeah, so, yeah. that was fun. Angry. Yeah. Good times. Angry football thoughts with friends. Episode one. We're <laughs> going to be doing this again. Um, <laughs> Good times. Thank you guys for joining. Uh, thank you. Yeah, if, if you listen to our podcast and you actually made it this far, I'm pretty <laughs> impressed with you. I, didn't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how many people are going to listen to this because football isn't really a topic for them, but fuck it. It's my podcast and Nathan's podcast. We're going to do what we want. <laughs> You're um, an honorary <laughs> soccer fan now. Right? <laughs> Yep. If you listen this far, you're an honorary uh, football fan. Um, thank you, thank you guys for joining me. Anna, one more question before I go for you. Um, how do you feel knowing that you're a part of Nathan's schizo group and now my schizo group as well for the podcast? I feel like a temporary co-host and I feel very honored and I love you guys so much. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining. You too, plug yourselves real oh, quick. Oh, shit. What is it? On Instagram, uh, fucking base apartment media. I just take pictures of animals and guns. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Animals with guns. <laughs> and then Anna. Anna, your turn. Me? What, me? Oh, Victim Henry. Uh, uh, that's it. Uh, Instagram. That's all. That's all that. We're still wired for, for football. We're like, oh. <laughs> Uh, Anna, you've gotten to do mom advice a couple times, so I'm going to pass it to Jorge. Oh, shit. Jorge advice. Um, hey, watch out for your sleep, guys. You know, like if you're if you're not getting good sleep, you're not going to perform. So uh, if you snore, get a sleep study done. It literally could fucking save your life. And, you know, if you have kids, I don't but that I know of. <laughs> but if uh, if you're not getting good sleep, get a sleep study done. And uh, fucking that that'll guarantee you being there for your kids even longer. Oh, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Okay, bye.